I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Manscaped, our new major sponsors on the Rugby League Guru podcast, have just launched in Australia. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. You can be one of the first to experience their life-changing products here in Australia. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code GURU20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code GURU20. Send me a message on the Instagram page or hit the link in the podcast description. Let's get those Rubik's Cubes sorted, fellas. Let's kick off the podcast. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today I'm going to drop my entire interview with Brett Finch. All three parts together as me and Brett spoke. Goes for about two hours, but a really cracking chat. As I'm sure most of you are already listening to part one, two and three. It's fantastic to listen to them all in one go. I listened to it on the weekend and it was just sensational. He's such a champion bloke. So down to earth, so humble. Absolutely love my time with Finchie. As you know now, Uncensored, Finchie Uncensored, his podcast, it's been released now uh, under the YKTR umbrella. He dropped his first one with Brad Fittler last week. It was fantastic. Finchie is able to bring the best out in people, especially, you know, over a beer, over a conversation. It's his bread and butter. He's going to do really well on this platform. I'm really excited for him, and I can't wait to listen to more of his podcasts. Make sure you jump on and subscribe to Brett Finch Uncensored. Let's kick off our yarn. Finch, Finch takes the shot, it's got the He's hole, got it. yeah. it's got the leg, I think yeah. it's there, yes it's there, Brett Finch the hero, he has kicked the field goal. Brett Finch, welcome on, how are we mate? Great, how's things? All going well, geez you're a hard man to get a hold of just quietly. It's um, hard man for me missus to get hold of, let alone <laughs> anyone else mate, but uh, I'm off the grid a bit at the moment, I've got no phone, which I haven't for the best three months and it's been great, no social media. So um, I've been enjoying life, obviously. Change of pace for me this year, not working at Fox. So um, I've got a 15-month-old girl you might hear in the background there. and um, It's been great spending time with her and, and really enjoyed that. So it's, um, it's been a nice change of pace. Mate, off the grid's an understatement. I was almost sending pigeons with notes on them to find you. <laughs> so, sometimes the missus used to have to do that on a Sunday afternoon. I've been missus since Friday. So, um, but no, it's been great, mate. So I've moved down here to the Shire. Um, 
God's country, they call it, but it's nice down here. It's been a nice change of pace. And, um, you know, I'm not big on the social media or on my phone. I like, you know, the boys are always into me for never returning calls. But if anyone needs me, they know they can get me through my missus. So it's, it's been good. I've really enjoyed it. But you're right. I, it's not the first time I've been told I'm hard to get hold of. Mate, I imagine, you know, it's probably for the best that you didn't move down to Cronulla 20 years ago. It could have been carnage. It could have been. Speaking of carnage, especially when Toddy Carnage was down here. I <laughs> And it's um, like I said, it's been great. We moved down here. I was in the eastern suburbs, come down here, get a bit bigger house. I got a little girl now, so to have the pool out in the backyard and um, you know a bit of uh, bit of backyard for it to run around. And so coming in the summer, it's uh, it's really good. Mate, I imagine the last eighteen months, obviously um, Ellie and your daughter coming along, you must just be a different man now. How's how's that all feeling? Oh, it's great. It's um, I was sort of the last of my all my mates to get married and settle down and, and have kids. So, you know, like my brother had, he's two years older than me, had kids at 22, 23, you know, I, I had my daughter at you know, 37, 38. So, yeah, he all your mates talk about how, how you feel about your daughter. It's just, you know, and it's not stand. I'm thinking, of course I understand. You know, I love me mum, I love me wife. I know what loving someone means, but, and that, nah, you won't understand until you have a kid. And then when you have a kid, it's just wow. And for me, all I ever wanted to do was play football. And all I'd ever done was play football. So, when I finished playing football, you know, at the age of 32, 33, you sit there and go, well, this is all I ever wanted to do. But I'm only hopefully one third through my life. What am I going to do now, you know? And, you know, you think you, you know, my, my life was consumed by football from a young age with my dad and family, then by playing young. Once I think, well, I've, I've done what I set out to achieve in life. Where do I go to now? And that's where I got really lost. But, you know, then when uh, Ellie uh, gave birth to Mackenzie, it's like, wow, that that's... That's why I'm supposed to be here, you know, to be a father and, you know, that you talk, hear when people talk about their love for their kids or their love for their, you know, father for his daughters. It's, a, it's an amazing thing and, um, you know, I feel so grateful for the position I'm in and Ellie's a wonderful mum and um, she's a great little girl. She's got plenty of character about herself. She can be quite loud and cheeky at times. I don't know where she gets that Shock from. me. Maybe a mother. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's, uh, it certainly has changed my life, mate. Changed my life for the, for the better. It's been, been uh, absolutely magic. Mate, you mentioned your father there, of course. You know, a bit of a legend around the uh, Hunter region. You know, an Aussie schoolboy when he was quite young. Two premierships with St. George. I mean, cast a pretty big shadow. Yeah, did I never seen it that way? You know, Dad never pushed us into anything. He certainly, uh, him, Mum and Dad gave us great support. Um, you know, and Dad's all about if you're going to do something, do something to your best, you know, give it your best shot. If you don't want to play footy, we didn't have to play footy, but... I said earlier, far back, my earliest memory was I had a footy in my hands. And at no point did I thought I was going to do something else. And then I chose football. It was always footy. So there's no plan B. And um, like I said, Dad had a great career with footy. And and, he, and back then, there was no nights then. So for someone to be successful in Sydney, you know, they said it was, they had, they had a big, good reputation in the Newcastle area. The Knights come in and he got involved in coaching uh, at the Knights in the lower grades. And um, so my, you know, my my weekends was, you know, I'd play me footy on Saturday and I'd be ball boy for the nights on Sunday, you know, in front of 20,000 people, you know, it was, it was a great way to grow up and a great childhood, but, but um, yeah, you know, I never felt any pressure with that, you know, having dad had the success he had, he was always, him, uh, both uh, dad and mum were, were super encouraging and no point if, he, you know, they, they pressured us to do it if we didn't want to play footy, that, you know, there would be no skin off his nose. 
Mate, I spoke to your good mate, Craig Fitzgibbon, a few weeks ago. Obviously, his father was a coach as well, and he spoke about that, you know, he did have little breaks and advantages growing up. You know, he spent a lot of time in change rooms. He, you know, sat in the lounge room listening to a lot of conversations between dad and players. Um, what sort of advantages do you think you took from your childhood? Oh, without a doubt, the, the same, exactly what Fitzy said. You know, in the old days, the, the video sessions, and now you've got the footy officers, they, they would be um, at, they would have the video session in the lounge room. You know, so Monday night, the team would be all in our lounge room, and somehow I'd sneak in the back there, even though my old man wouldn't. You know, if they lost, I probably wouldn't sneak in because I knew we'd be into them. But if they weren't sneaking, I'd be listening to the video sessions they'd have. And, Nothing would be on computer, be the old rewind, you know, the, the, the VCR. Um, so I, I had that advantage in and around the boys. And another advantage, you know, like dad was coaching at the Knights. He, he had, the, you know, it turned out the luxury to coach blokes like Adam Mill, Paul Harrigan, uh, Matthew and Andrew Johns, right now, Oreo Davis, brought all these blokes through. So I guess the relationship I had with those guys going into my early teens, you know, I've seen how hard they worked as well, you know. Um, uh, Matthew and Ian, the Johns family have a caravan up in uh, Finley Bar. I'm not sure if they sure still do, but they did at the time. And we would holiday up there. And, you know, they, were, they would come and wake me up at six in the morning. My brother six in the morning would go over to the park and, and start doing extras, you know. So I was 10, 12 years of age. So ingrained in, in me at, at, at that age that this is the work ethic you need. And, and you know, nothing comes easy. So I, I certainly felt that was an advantage because I always thought one of my strengths was my ability to train hard and, and try to improve anyway. Mate, I imagine being a young bloke in Newcastle and having the two Johns brothers, like, you, you just can't buy that sort of experience, can you? That's no, not. And, it's, and, and like Fitzy said, to be sitting in their footy chain room, and it's a, I, I wouldn't swap my world for the life I had ever. You know, if I could do it all over again, I'd love to. I'd do it tomorrow. Um, but just that environment, you know, and sometimes... It can be not the best influences, but but more often than not, it's great. You know, you've been around your mates and you've seen how funny they are and the banter. And, and if you're a dickhead, you usually, you know, you might get some odd cats in the footy, footy team, but if you're a dickhead, everything gets leveled out. You, you don't last too long, you know. Um, it's a great level of rugby league. And, and um, you know, I've seen those, you know, maybe we'd have the boys around for um, beers at, at our house too on Sundays and the team when I was young, you watch them, like just the fun, you know, they train hard and play hard, but then the fun, you know, they're just having that team environment. I suppose that goes for any sport or team environment. But, you know, and I'm still good, great mates with them both today, you know, so that's 30 years later. So, so you know, I feel pretty blessed with that. Mate, I love those stories those two tell of when they're uh, they're lining up a goal kick and the uh, the bucktooth kid comes out with the sand and with with the quickest lip in Newcastle. Did your old man ever, ever pull you up on that shit or was he happy for you just to run no, with it? No, we kept it pretty quiet. They had, they had some pretty successful teams during those high grades. They made the grand final a few times in semi. So more often than that, I, not, I knew if they missed the goal, it wasn't going to affect the result, you know. So but I remember one time, Matty, there was a few injuries and Matty wasn't the regular goal kicker. And Dad said that Matty was a bit of a nervous Nelly before games anyway. When Matty looked like, uh, Andrew looked like he'd just come out of the nightclub and was ready to go, you know. When Matty was more of a nervous Nelly and, and overthought things a bit and, he was real nervous about being the goal kicker. So I knew that, you know, because I'd heard Dad talk about it. And we got a penalty goal early in the game, and I ran out the sand, and I said, mate, no chance of kicking this. <laughs> you know, you know, and just, you're absolutely, and he, you know, he sprayed it wide. The next kick, he gets a chance. And I go, like, listen, I've just heard the call. I just made stuff up. I just heard Dad just say, mate, if you miss it again, you're off. You know, he's, he's there. and sure enough, he missed it again. They still won the game, but 
Uh, I don't think Maddie ever kicked again, but um, Joey, Joey was, um, you know, obviously he was a great goal kicker, so I tried to call him everything under the sun just to distract him. Hard ass, fat ass, but uh, more often than not, he'd put it straight between the posts anyway. Mate, obviously you said your dad coached in the lower grades there, and, you know, I'm, I'm just doing some maths here. Obviously they won the premiership in 1997. I imagine your father would have been, you know, quite heavily involved in that squad as they were coming through the years. Yeah, well, no, pretty much all. You know, well, certainly probably eighty percent of them um, coming through under twenty ones, first grade. Um, you know, at that point we'd got uh, dad signed to Super League. You know, not many people outside of Newcastle know how pretty toxic it got there. It was quite heavy the Super League. Super League. Well, dad was football manager at the Knights in ninety five. The club wanted to go Super League because they had no money, and um, the club advised dad to go across because they knew if dad went across. He had such a good relationship with a lot of the guys that the players would follow. And, you know, one thing led to another, and uh, Chief and a lot of people, a lot of the boys had signed. So Dad got left uh, hanging out to dry a bit. So he was left with his Super League, you know. And he was like, Man, you just told me to go over and sign. Now, what am I supposed to do now? So the Hunter Mariners formed. So I think that was a bit tough for Dad, you know, certainly that 97 season, because he brought all those players through and it was such a big thing for the Newcastle area. and Around that time, you know, our family got death threats. Um, sister, my sister, my younger sister, got bullied at school. She was 12, 13 years of age. Teach from teachers, from teachers. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, things like so. It was quite. It was quite. It had a big effect on, on the family, and it was a tough moment. But um, no, we, we got through that. But I don't know yeah, for dad at that time. I, I'm, you know, I'm sure he doesn't. You know what? You know, he can't change what's happened in the past. But I'm sure, that was hard for him because. He left to hung out the drive a bit and he didn't get a chance to celebrate with those guys who he had a lot to do with you know, bringing into first grade. So, yeah, you're right. But it was, a, it was a special time for the Knights during that period. And, you know, anyone who knows their footy knows the town just went absolutely bananas. You know, they, they got the bus home from the footy stadium after the grand final and they're lying in the streets from Gosford. So it's a bit like the reception I get when I go back up there these days. <laughs> All the police cars lined up <laughs> waiting for you. I, I get the police escort, but just a different kind. But, uh, Brett, mate, like obviously a lot of relationships were torn apart um, up there in Newcastle during that period. Would you say they've all been mended now or, you know, are the wounds still there? You know, we're speaking about Matt and Andrew. I know Dad, that Matt and Dad were very close and that was, you know, that relationship was fractured there for a while. And I know it hurt both, both Dad and Matt, you know, they were, they were really close and, and it's obviously times healed all wounds. But no doubt there was very volatile and it felt like you had to pick sides, you know. Um and I was about 15, 16, but, you know, I know, I know it affected a lot of people. I don't, I don't think you – know, a lot of relationships haven't got back to where they were before that, but I think as time goes on, you, you move on with your life. And, um, you know, it was pretty nasty there for a while. Like I said, there's death threats. You know, people were getting bullied. The office, the, the Hunter Mariners football office, they'd get their windows broken multiple times. You know, people were glassing the windows and throwing bottles through the windows. So it was pretty nasty there for a while. And, but you, you get to a point now where, you know, I don't think all relationships may have ever gone back to where they were, but, you know, you move on and get on with life and, you know, hope everyone's sort of doing well. So, mate, did you obviously play some junior footy representing uh, the Hunter Mariners? I did. I played Hunter Mariners. I played um, the 97 season. I played under 17, so I was 15 that, that year. Uh, in my team, I had Willie Mason and Ryan O'Hara. It was a former front row at the time, so... Um, we had a pretty good team. It was only the one year. Um, we finished fifth in the, in the competition. So, but yeah, it was um, 
it was, it was a good year because you're, you're a young kid and you're, you're playing the Perth Reds and North Queensland Cowboys, you know. So from 17 year old, we're flying to Townsville and there's certainly no expense spared, you know. They, they give you get Nikes, you know, Air Maxes. And yeah, how good's that? Yeah. And for a 15 year old, that was gold, you know, and you get the Nike tracksuits, you know. So um, I'm rocking into school for sport on Friday with the, the grass Nike Air, you know. Air Maxes, that's pretty good. But it was a great time and um, obviously there's a lot of chaos around it, but. You know, certainly we made some friends out of that, that year that, you know, I've still got now. Mate, it's one of the many uh, kits that you collect over your career. Obviously, the next oh, one is the Canberra Raiders, <laughs> the kit man. Mate, I, uh, how did you end up in Canberra? Well, well the Super League folded and Dad went down there to work. We got News Limited on Canberra, obviously News Limited Super League, and they put Dad as football manager at Canberra. So I went down there just with Dad for work. Um, in January... Uh, 1998. We moved down there Australia Day, 1998. Um, was, at the end of that a month, a week or two later, there was some under 17 trials for the SG Ball team. I just asked if I could trial, I could trial for the team, made the team, and um, end up playing jersey uh, under 17s and under 19s that year. So but we went down there for dad. You know, I wasn't signed down there. I, you know, the Raiders never got me down there. I went down there. That was dad got a job and then worked my way through the Tell me about your first grade debut. I believe you get the call when when you're sitting in class. I was in trouble. I got called out over the speaker here in class to come go to the office. And I, you know, I was always a pretty, I was a scallywag, but I wouldn't get myself in trouble. You know, I knew the difference between right and wrong. And I, as much as I was cheeky, I was never disrespectful. So usually, any calls to to the office were uh, people were in trouble. So I'll, I'll shit myself. I get in there and it was like lunchtime, just before lunch, and the uh, principal goes, "Mate, just been called from the, the uh, from the office, from, from the Raiders' office. You're in the team this week for, for first grade. You got to go to training." So, uh, we played on a Friday night against Melbourne Storm. Laurie Daly was out in. Uh, no, Laurie Daly had been picked in Origin, so he was missing the game. Uh, I come off the bench, uh, played Melbourne. I, it was a Friday night game, so I, had, I went to school till lunchtime. <laughs> Um, and then, then went off and played the game. So um, the match, we got some good match payments. We certainly helped me at the canteen. I was a famous, I was pretty, uh, pretty popular canteen, plenty of chocolate milks on me and sausage rolls. But um, yeah, it was a great, you know, I, I think if I'd stay in Newcastle, I may have never been good because, you know, behind Andrew, but, you know, certainly got an opportunity down there probably earlier than I, I would have thought and to play with blokes like Daly and Ferner and Wiki and be coached by Mal Meninga, you know. They were that, um, you know, they had been involved in that dream team of the early 90s at Canberra, you know, like they were just, they were heroes. So um, it, was, it was great to be involved with them. I was really young, but, um, you know, still an awesome experience. You say, like, if you would have stayed in Newcastle, you probably wouldn't have debuted. Of course, the man that you came up against that on that night in your debut, Brett Kamali, the halfback for the Melbourne Storm, pretty similar story there. You know, two kids from Newcastle, one ends up in Canberra, one ends up in Melbourne. It's and crazy how rugby league works. Yeah, we we'll both at the Mariners too. So Noddy, Noddy was the halfback at the Mariners. Obviously, I was in the juniors. Um, but um, had a pretty good halfback there in the red and blue who turned out to be the eighth mortal. So um, for a lot of your halfbacks, you know, Matthew Robwell played at the Dragons there for a while. And, um, you know, I know a lot since throughout his career, Luke Dawn, um, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of us that, are, that don't come to mind. Had to go elsewhere to, to find their, apply their trade because of, just you know, we come across a bit like Stuart McGill with Shane Warne, you know, like you, or the, you know, you come across an era where you know you'd be behind one of the absolute greatest that's ever played. So, but you know that that doesn't change anything. You know, not, I'm sure Noddy wouldn't think of any differently. But there was a period there where there was 
four or five halfbacks throughout the competition who were Newcastle juniors you know, in early 2000s. So, yeah, you're right. To come up against Noddy, he was someone I always respected, Noddy. Mate, you mentioned some of the guys like Laurie Daly, Mal Meninga, and, you know, over the first four years of your career, obviously you grew up with the Johns brothers. You played with Daly, coached by Mal. You played with Freddie, coached by Ricky Stewart. Like, fuck, it was just star-studded, wasn't it? You just you just kept running into these all-time greats. Um, if the poor bastards, they kept running into me. Well, the, the Laurie, Laurie's last game in 2000 was in a semi-final. We played the Roosters, and I was the halfback. And Freddie's last game was in the 2004 grand final. And I was the halfback. I was like the, you know, I was like the Grim Reaper. I'm, all these legends, they're, they're, they have a couple of years as me, and they go, oh, man, I want to retire. Get me away from you. You're fisting but one you, by one. Yeah, I just kept chopping them down. But you're right, and then I had Sticky as a coach at the, at the Roosters, and he was one of the greatest halfbacks ever. Uh, Brad Fittler was my hero growing up. So uh, I remember Sticky approached me, uh, Sticky and Ricky Stewart and Gus Gould approached me about going to the Roosters. I wanted to know if Freddie wanted me there because Freddie was my hero. I didn't want to go there. It's not being a hero. All of a sudden, he hates you. I'd be devastated. You know, for 20 years, I'd love the bloke and then I'd meet the bloke and, you know, he thinks I'm a dickhead. You know, <laughs> but we turned out to be super close mates and we're so close, still close now. So, you know, I've, you know, obviously, I'd have loved to achieve more. You know, at times, you know, made different decisions in my life. But when I look back, you know, I was, those names you just mentioned, you know, for a footy nerd, and, you know, I was a footy head. You know, I can remember games back in the 80s and who won what and, you know, all the way through to today. All the games I played, I'll tell you what date, what game, what round. So, so from being involved with that, those calibre of, of superstars, and they're all such down-to-earth people, I, you know, I, I was really lucky and grateful for that. Mate, before we get to your Roosters days, there's a game I want to talk about, and, you know, we see the highlight every year at some point. Um, you're playing Newcastle. Andrew Johns takes a shot at field goal. He misses. You got the 20-meter tap, and, you know, a lot of people bag you for this play, and, you know, sweet, but the way that I look at it is that the game was on the line. You wanted the ball in your hands. You went to fine touch, and, of course, if you fine touch, you get the ball there. Unfortunately, yeah. landed in the crowd, and it's yeah. just – I imagine that must have been an extremely low point for a young bloke. Oh, it was because it was the first time I come up against Joey, and we had great history – a bit, um, bit raw because of the Super League. You know, it's two or three years after, three years after, four years after. And you know, I wanted to beat him. I wanted to win. And not many people have done that. The first sort of person who did it was Ricky Stewart from Canterbury the year before. So it was one of those rules people didn't really know about. So Jory goes for the kick, 20 all, misses. You know, most people be satisfied with that. I remember just getting the ball thing on, going for it. And I hit it sweet, the kick. I was going, I thought, this is perfect, you know. I think it's going to land close to around that 30, 35 metre line and then off the scrum I'll try for a field goal. But then it kept going and going and I thought, oh shit, this is going out in the full. And it went out in the full and no one knew the rule, like, because no one really knew the rule originally, but no one knew the rule if you kicked out the full. What's the result from that? Is it a scrum on the 20 metre line? The rest playing the penalty and I'll just, uh, I'll break down. I got a bit emotional. Yeah. I, I remember a few young, uh, not young players at the Knights, but other blokes I knew who, we're mediocre first graders. They were sitting there and they started hammering me. Uh, and Joey got the ball and turned and told them to shut their mouth, you know. You know and, and he knew as a halfback and he got straight away. He said what you said. He goes, you blokes will never understand what he's done and the mentality behind that. You know, you, you, you do your job, that's fine. But he, and this kid's 18 and he's trying to put his balls on the line. And he come up with swap shorts. I think he just did that to try and um, take a bit of pressure off me. There's certainly a... I can still fit in those shorts today. Joe, he's plenty of leg room in there and arms room. But he was really good. And 
I always say I'll cop some stick for it and I deserve to cop some stick for it. I lost the game, but throughout my career, I've done that a million times. And 99 times out of 100, I come up short. The reason I kicked the field goal in origin was because I had that mentality, you know. And no matter what the situation, I always thought the odds, I could beat that, you know. Now, I should have known better, you know. I should have known my limitations better because it got, it got me into trouble. But I've got moments throughout my career that not many players have got, you know, because I had – I backed myself no matter what. And then, now, I know that I wasn't the most popular player. You know, I, I think during my time, I was as heavily criticised as anyone that's been played, you know. But I knew what I, the value I brought to me, mates. And I knew when the game was in the line, I wanted the ball, you know. what? You know, And like I said, plenty of times I come up short. I'll take that – you know, I've got those moments in my career and, and I can cherish those moments because I had that mentality. If I didn't have that, I would, probably wouldn't have got as criticised as much, but I wouldn't have had those moments. And I'd rather have those moments than not have them. And, um, yeah, like you said, there's some lucky to have the field goal. You now, those moments like the field goal come off plenty of those moments like the Knights game where, you know, I come up short and didn't, didn't land the right play. But um, the funny thing was I bloke come up for an autograph after that Knights game and he had to pick the score footy ticket. 20 all. Oh, good God. <laughs> Mate, I had to t- I signed it. It was, would have been for like 30-something grand. <laughs> oh. So the horse was 22-20, but some badly, any to his credit, he, he you know, probably deserved to knock me out, and I probably would have done that too, but he laughed it off. I signed his tab ticket, picked the score of 30 odd grand. So yeah. Oh. Uh, if you think me now, now the pandemic's hitting, everyone's under the pump on air, so he's probably come looking for me soon. That's about 50K nowadays. Mate, obviously you mentioned there that you always back yourself. And the thing that I love about your attitude is that I know that if that game would have gone on for another five minutes and Joey misses another field goal, I know you would have gone for it again, (laughs) kicking that 20 metre and go for it. I I love the way you go all chips in. There's so many guys in the comp now that I watch that, you know, you hear them talking that they want the ball in their hands. But then when it comes to the pressure moments, it's only a select few that actually want the ball in their hands. And I think it says a lot about you. Yeah, man, I've told too many people this, but when I we played Origin, I come in kick field goal when I come in um, the night before the game. Queensland scored in the corner, I think, to make it 16 14. Now, obviously, I was hoping Thurston missed the goal, but as he lined up to kick it, I thought, if he, if he gets this, I was thinking to myself, I'm a one in three chance of being here. I said, because I'm going to take the kick for us, and either Lockyer or Thurston will take. I said, and I'm thinking that. If he kicks it, I'm, I'm a chance, I'm kicking it, you know? And you hear on the commentary, who goes, Braith and Astor's a long-range specialist. That whole set, there's no way Braith was on guys going to let him anywhere near it, you know? <laughs> I was always going for it. And plus, you know, I understood the, the, the surroundings. I'd come in at 11 o'clock the night before. I'd been on the drink for three days. And here I am, you know, imagine I kicked the field goal to win an origin in front of 80. <laughs> I knew this, you know, the opportunity that had presented itself. And again, lucky for me, on that occasion, mate, when I hit it, I'd never hit the ball so sweet. You know, when you hear a six out of the middle of the bat, just and when it come off my boot, I just went, this is going over. And man, I could have kicked it from Paddington. That's how far away. Like, it was just sailed. But again, it was lucky on the biggest occasion. You know, it's when you always bet on black. I was lucky when, when all the chips were in the middle on the biggest occasion it, it landed my way. But, but like I said, there was plenty of times it didn't. Mate, whilst we're talking about that field goal, I was going to talk about it later, but, you know, like, and people sort of say, oh, he came in for one game. He, you know, he had one lucky kick, but... You know, people that understand football, even the way that you hold a ball 
when you're drop kicking it, you hold it at the very top, you open up the face of the ball, which when you hit them right, it'll go forever, but they're extremely hard to hit with the way that you used to hold the ball. It was just all, you know, all chips in for you, wasn't it? And, and that's how I play. And, and you know, I, don't, I made as many mistakes as anyone, but my, my teammates knew I, you know, I got a pass, pass mark with my teammates and coaches because they knew I was trying. You know, if I missed the tackle, it wasn't because I was not wanting to make the tackle, it was just because I, you know, it was too big. You know, I was trying to make the tackle. So, you know, I'd get a, a lead pass, you know, a whole, you know, a whole pass with a lot of the boys because they go, well, we know, know you're trying. And, you know, in that situation, I always back myself. So I'd come into Origin, I knew a lot of those guys. A lot of those guys were close mates, you know. Gaz and Braith and Willie and uh, Ogre, Bedsy, Bobcat, you know, the list goes on. You know, they're, they're all Rollsy, they're all good mates. So I felt comfortable in the environment and I'm playing with the best of the best. So it's actually going to be easier than a, local, than a normal comp game. And I've got nothing to lose. So, you know, again, I didn't have the longest origin career. I played three games. But, mate, let me tell you, I'll never forget that feeling when 80,000 people are cheering because of you, you know. I don't know too many people have had that, you know. And that's that pure surge and adrenaline of emotion is mate, something I'll never, ever get anywhere in my life ever again. So, really grateful I was never – I wouldn't call myself an origin player. I don't think, you know. Mate, you mentioned that moment where the 80,000 are cheering you on. Take me back 24 hours before that, because I heard you tell this on the companion the other day, and it is it, this story defies belief. Well, well it is true. My life's hung over. Um, we played the Sunday South, we on a drink, Sunday night. Monday, we did some recovery. Monday, Arvo Club, back on the beers. Tuesday, we trained in the morning and Tuesday, Arvo, back, back on the beers. And that's what we did back then, you know. Um, anyway, I'm, we're at the Bronte RSL. But I'm not answering my phone. I've seen this private number. I'm not answering And anyway, they, somehow someone knows I'm there. They, they must, oh, how'd they know, they mate? Know. How'd they take a wild so, guess? They take a wild guess. I'll send to the Beach Road Hotel one day on Bronte RSL. <laughs> um, so they, they, call the front, they call the front door, like the front front the reception and I get called over the two-way you know Brett finished the reception so I go to reception they hand me the phone and it's uh, it's Laurie Dale in assistant case so Finchie you're in origin and they said you've got to come out to Parramatta out to Seaball you know this is like 9 30 10 o'clock I went beauty I'll be right there and I then get on the two-way and they go the Finch man's in origin <laughs> and I actually go back and I shout the bar for like <laughs> 20 minutes or so have a couple more beers I think shit I better get um better get out to um the Seaball so I get a taxi home Quickly pack my bags, get a taxi out to um, out to Parramatta, and, and get out to the Seabull at about 11, 30, 12 o'clock the night before the game. And I'm you know, a little worse for wear, and I could see them looking at me. They're going like, "Fucking Jesus, he doesn't look too good." <laughs> and they said, "What have you been doing, Fitzy?" I said, "Well, Loz, you called me. I was at the Bronny RSL. I think you got a pretty good idea." Um, and and the way it just adds to the story and the, the you know the legend of the story that what happened the following night. I mean, I didn't have my boots. I forgot to pack my boots. So we go for a walk through the next morning. And of course, I was so pissed the night before I forgot to pack my boots. Now, who forgets to pack their boots for origin? <laughs> um, so I'm there training in me Chuck Taylor's, the, the converses. And all the boys have been in camp for two weeks. They're going, this dickhead's going to blow up for all of us. But um, again, we got the result we wanted. And um, it helps me with my uh, sports lunch and stories, you know.
Mate, it's a ripping story, my God. Mate, t- take me back to, um, you know, when, when your time at Canberra wraps up, you make your way to the Roosters. Now, of course, they win the comp in 2002, and Simon Benetti's their hooker, Craig Wings at halfback. Benetti retires, wing moves to hooker. They need a seven. How did it come about that you ended up being the man? Well, man, when I signed with this Chooks, they were coming about eighth during the season. We were really inconsistent up and down. I got approached by the Dragons and, and the Roosters, and I chose the, the Roosters. Then they went on a game winning streak back into that year. They were unstoppable. They were fine. Obviously, the dogs happened their salary cap. And then, boom, 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 the, the, the dominoes fell, and the Roosters went on a big roll and, and sweeped the field. Like, I'm like, shit, they have to win it this year. You know? Now I'm on a hiding to nothing. You know? But we come in the next year, Simon Benetti, they knew he was retiring. We went to hooker. And I played half back. I probably struggled the first half of that season. Just such a dominant team trying to get in. The key position you're playing is to try and take over everyone. They won the comp the year before, so it's not like they needed me help. To try and, you know, as a half, you've got to take control of the team and, and having Freddie there, you know. So it took me a little while to find my feet. Um, my first game was the World Cup Challenge, and that was an awesome trip. Mate, I spoke to you, your good mate Anthony Minicello a few weeks ago and we spoke about that World Club Challenge and he, he said to me, mate, go and look at all the photos and look at Finchie and if you're not holding a trophy, you're holding a bottle of champagne carrying on. You didn't miss. I didn't miss. You'd think I was vice-captain if you didn't know any different. <laughs> you look like you'd been there for 10 years waiting yeah, for a shot. I, I, look, I look like I was 10 years old too, how young I looked, but um, I was right in there. And I just, again, you know, sometimes people see me look... I could have carried on a bit and probably look like that, whether I spit the dummy or Yahoo. And I was, but I just loved it so much. And I was a roller coaster for me. And, and those pictures, I'm next to Freddie holding the trophy on, on one side. I, was, I didn't even win the grand final before. I got a free trip to England to get a free <laughs> shot at the World Club Challenge, you know. Here I am in there. But it, was, it was a great trip. We had a lot of fun over there. Sticky, Sticky was great in those environments, you know. Like, he, he, you know, those first couple of years, he had a tremendous balance about having fun, but then working really hard. And that team... That Roosters era, you know, those early 2000s, that club worked extremely hard, you know. Probably until I went down to Melbourne, no team I'd been involved in a club had worked harder. Um, you know, we played extremely hard. You know, they had that rushing defence and, and then we trained hard and we enjoyed ourselves, you know. We, we, you know the, we certainly, when we had a team drink, we, we, we went hard at that too. So, But it, they trained extremely hard. There was great leaders led by Freddie. He was a tremendous captain. You spit smoke and mirrors Freddie with what you're seeing in the footage show and a bit aloof, but man, he's a champion, he's a winner, and he's a serious as they come. Extremely charismatic, whether it's an arm on the shoulder, a kick up the bum, or here we go. He, he was just an awesome leader. And we had blokes like Fitzy, Minnie, Rico, you know, Peter Cusack, these other great, Adrian Morley, these other great senior players around it. So for a young bloke, you know, I'd go out there behind that Ford pack with Fitzy and those blokes. Big mouth for the best of times. So I remember just playing behind those blokes. You know, I felt ten foot tall and bulletproof. You know, so yeah, it filled you with plenty of confidence to be involved with those guys. And Sticky was a great coach where you know, he he rode you hard, but he backed you. You know, he'd stand by his players and you know, fuck, there's some tough days on the stick. You know, he was ruthless, especially with me. He's really hard at times, but you know, those first couple of years, I've seen great results and great strides in, in my career uh, because of you know, Sticky's coaching, and we certainly had a lot of fun together. Mate, I had um, I had Bernie Gurr on a few weeks ago, who would have been at the Chooks at the same time yep. as you. And he, you know, we spoke about Freddie quite a bit, and we entered into the should Brad Fittler be an immortal debate. And obviously, for you, you had a very unique experience. You know, Freddie's career was unbelievable, but I think that the, the years that you were next to him, that was his most complete football he ever played. 
Should he be an immortal in your opinion? You know, he's in my top three best players I've ever seen. It's Miss, Smith, Miss Cameron Smith and Joey. And I, I, I'd say yes, because well, I look at Freddie because he's my hero as well. And then I became become great mates with him. So it's a, you know, I'm probably a bit biased there, but I just, just I look back now and I've got even more respect for him now because especially that second year in 2004, he's seen my development grow and he's sort of handed the reins over to me, you know, and I took control of the team and um, I was really the, the main ball player that year. And when I got to the end of my career, you saw them realize, geez, for him to do that after everything he achieved and be able to check his ego out the door and go, here you go, young fella, I can see you're on your way up. I'm with you. And there were games like the Roosters, the Anzac Day game, we're under the pump and Freddie would just go out of the way. He did that mad try, left foot, left foot and scored. So he knew when to inject or knew when, but any other time he was just hands and heels. He, he let me, he let me go, you know, and, and it developed my games through the roof. I know I won the Dalian that year, played Origin for the first time. So when you get at the back end of your career, sometimes for old guys, it's hard to go, I'm nearing the end. I've got it. I can't do what I used to do, you know, and you can be quite stubborn and not want to let go. But he, you know, I, I even was more grateful than my crew when I realised that, you know, for he was still our best player in the team. Oh, by and far and away. dominated yeah. origin that year, you know. like He still could have played. He was one of the best, you know. And and, and that's the player he was because he knew he was the best for the team. And, you know, he contributed in other areas. So I just found him a tremendous, uh, not only a superstar and a champion player, but he's a superstar teammate. Made that 2003 season. Obviously, you go all the way to the grand final, and we all know the story, losing to Penrith that night. Tell me about the week before that. In my opinion, you know, you guys played your grand final the week before against Canterbury. You know, Rugby League had been waiting, you know, 18 months for that game, and fuck, it didn't disappoint. It didn't, mate. I remember the footy stadium was sold out, 40-odd thousand there, you know, um, 45,000 or whatever it held, the uh, SFS. Made it. Before we went out, we're in the home shed. Just before we go out, and Sticky, the lights go dark. Sticky's got a whiteboard and it's the an- he's showing the anthem from the, the years before his grand final. And then you know how it pans along the team, arm in arm, pans along. Mate, I'm getting goosebumps now, honestly. I wasn't even involved in that team. But, like, if we win this game, I'm going to my first grand final. You know, these boys are defending champs. This mob's coming, to, you know. And it was one of those put up or shut up moments. You know, there'd been a lot of back and forth against the Chooks and the Roosters. Uh, sorry, the Roosters and the Dogs. Dogs, we would have only won it because we weren't there. Well, here, here's a chance. Right, eh, boys? Like, this is it. So, I take nothing away from Penrith. Oh, they won it. But in, no doubt, we may have uh, overcooked it the week before. You know, it was put up or shut up for both teams. You know, we'd been eyeing off all year. We knew there was going to be a point coming together. Unfortunately, not, not, we thought it might have been the grand final, but it was the week before. It was a real put up or shut up moment for, for both clubs. I went out there and blew them away. You know, at no stage were we under pressure. You know, we might have won by 10 or 12 points, but we were comfortable the whole way. And our forwards dominated. Just, you know, Mini at the back was terrific. Freddie and uh, come up with a couple of big plays. But yeah, we put a lot into that game. And looking back now, you know, at the time we go, no, we're ready to go for next week. You know, no, but looking back now, you probably, yeah, well, it probably overcooked us a bit, but. We needed to win that game because you know, the, the energy around that and the anticipation was through the roof. And you go to a dark, wet night against Penrith, who probably put that, you know, the wet ground played into their hands a bit with their big forwards. And I probably look back the next year, the following year with dogs, I'm, I'm, you know, that, I, that eats away at me a bit because 
in the end, Pat, we've had a few things go against us. If it goes the other way, so be it. But against the dogs, you know, that second half, that no four, we've, we've you know, fucked that up, you know, and that's that's one that sticks in the core. But no doubt that year before, you know, you look back, we, you know, we might have overcooked ourselves the week before, but, you know, it certainly wouldn't change anything. We'll get to that 04 grand final in a minute, mate. But obviously that 2004 season, as you said, you make your origin debut. In my opinion, you play your best footy ever. I mean, you're the red-hot favourite to take home the Dally M. Danny Badiris, I, I think he pips you by one or two points. Incredible season for you. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, that, and I was just, you know, to be footy come through loops and downs. I had a tremendous um, combination with Anthony Minichello, who that stage was the best fullback in the world, if not the best player. He was winning uh, Harry Sutherland medals for Australian Player of the Year, won a Golden Boot the following year, won Wally Lewis medals. So I had a tremendous, uh, re- like me and Minnie were best mates, we were best, we were best men at each other's weddings. But at that time, we were, like, we were just, you know, we were beavers and butthead, you know what I mean? You know, we, we were knocking around together down in Bondi and having a lot of fun with young blokes, but we'll work hard together. And for a halfback, Minnie just knew what I was going to do and knew where he was going to be. So um, to have someone like that running off you, you know, I could run him into a brick wall and nine times out of ten he's going to bust through the tackle and I get a line break assist, you know. But he, he was a tremendous combination. We had a great team and, you know, the team had been together for a few years and uh, they were a real, a real tough team. You know, the forward pack was super tough. Half back to play behind and the back that created space for us. And, you know, I look back now and, you know, that, that year, of course, I was in the spotlight a bit and, and I was getting the raps. I'd get dallying points when I knew someone else was probably played better. I knew I played well, but someone else was better where... In other years, going down the track, I knew I was the best player on the field, but you get nothing, you know. So um, I would have loved to have won a Dalian again. If you're going to lose it, I was more than happy. You know, Denny Bideris is a champion and a terrific bloke. So I'm glad he was the one who uh, got me off my perch, so to speak. The 2004 season, as we said, you make your origin debut. Tell me about when you first got that phone call. I imagine must have been one of the absolute highlights of your career. Yeah, well, again, uh, Noddy, Brett Morley got injured. On the Sunday, so I, I we I, I'd had um we'd had the weekend off, we had buy. So again, I, I I just had lunch on Sunday. We had Ryan Cross's wedding the night before, so I was decent nudge there because we had the buy. And I called in Sunday night, flew up to to Brisbane Sunday night, and and again Freddie, that was Freddie's return match. There was Fitzy, Craig Wing, um, Mini, you know, all these guys. You know, there's five or six roosters, so it was like just going into a club team. So I was really comfortable with that. Um, you know, we get beat by two, two to four points. I think we get beat by 22-18. I, I played pretty well. Uh, but you sort of think, you know, Joe was out for the year injured with the knee. Noddy pulled his hamstring and Trent Barrett was unavailable with injury. So I'm sitting fourth or fifth down the pecking line. So I'm thinking, you know, as great as it was, that's probably, you know, I'm grateful to have it because I might not get another shot. So um, I was 18th man for the game three where Freddie charged down and scored. And we had a great night out. Even when we... Uh, we're training the next morning with the Roosters. I still wore my origin tracks in training. Sticky's <laughs> like, fucking guys, you're the bloody best. You're 18th, man. You wasn't even fighting. I knew I'd get a reaction. I still were, but I was still a bit pissed after winning the origin series. I rocked off in my origin tracks and waiting for a bite. And he goes, nah. So you're the only, only 18th man in history still wearing the origin tracks at 24 hours after the game. <laughs> Mate, <laughs> the blokes I speak to that have played Origin, they all sort of say the same thing, that they make their debut, the game kicks off, then they look up and it's halftime and it's just on another level. How, how did you find that night, the game itself? Mate, it, it, the game was at Suncorp, mate. Suncorp's always quicker. 
I play two origins of Suncourt, one in Sydney, and it's the Paris's are so different. You know, Sydney's middle of winter, so it's quite heavy track and, and, and dewy, and which slows it down, uh, which helps for blokes like me. But Queen, that Queensland game was so quick, you know, it's a dry track. And even just like, I remember at training, the first training session, Freddie hits me with the ball. I caught 500 passes a week off Freddie, mate. It bounces off me chest. It just, everything was quicker. Training was quicker, you know. So, yeah, I, I adapted pretty well that week. But my third game, I played up there in game two in 06. Mate, we got pumped by 30 points. And it's just like you're in quick in it. There's no way back. It's like you see now some of that momentum. We had, we had no momentum. It's like, can this game just be over? Because it's just, you were just on the back foot all day and it goes that quick from side to side. And, you know, you see some of the sets, they're like 60-metre sets, you know what I mean? You know, it's it was uh, it's really tough when, when you're under the pump and, you know, the momentum was against you. Mate, a couple of months later, obviously the 2004 Grand Final rolls around and, you're taking on Canterbury. You know, we, we, we said in 03 you played him in the semi, and this is the grand final that everyone had been waiting for. And, you know, you led 13-6 at halftime. You hit an absolute cracking field goal before halftime. What was the thought process at that time? Now, you know what? It was a split second. I went to do a – well, six hours, about eight minutes left or something, 30, 40 metres out. And sometimes they're your hardest kicks. If you, you, if you land it too close to the trial, you're not going to get your chases down there to contest, but – if it's too short, you know, they're returning the ball 20, 30 metres yet, you know, so it's a hard sort of kick to get it right. And I went to actually, if you've watched the footage, I go to do a torpedo bomb. And as I catch it, it's shaped the torpedo bomb. Then I, for some reason, I just think, fuck it, I'll snap a field goal, you know? Because it, it was a really shitty game. Both yeah. teams played poorly. Both teams played really poorly. It was an absolute bludger of a grand final um, and, and a huge lead balloon in terms of the, the games that had, you know, over the previous years between the two clubs, the rule led balloon. So I just thought six all, and then just hit myself, one point could be important. Again, I, I hit it real sweet. I don't know what it was about me and field goals at um, ANZ. I kicked about 11 there in my career. <laughs> but then the, the very next set, Anthony Tupo makes a break and I puts Mini under the post, and it's 13 6. So all of a sudden, I look like a superstar at 13 6 with the field goal. And the Roosters win, lost leading at half time in. Three or four years. Mate, I was about to say, no one ever ran that mob down when you guys were up. It's like Melbourne Storm, mate. Halftime, I don't know. We, we could have started our lap of honour. Like, it's over, you know? I, you know, I look back, I think some of the stinks at halftime maybe created panic or maybe a bit, bit negative, but we didn't play good in the second half and it was a bludger of a game. You know, we missed opportunities. Andrew Ryan came up with a couple of huge plays. He made a tackle on Chris Walker under the post. And then I hit Nick Crocker on full time, and he's through. You know, he's got Mini coming up the inside. He's got Hodjo, Justin Hodges, and Chris Walker on the outside. And Bobcat comes from behind and then ankle taps Croc, trips him up and say, you know, there's every chance we could have scored on the belt. Finchie, so. without, without putting salt in the wounds, that pass to Mick Crocker, that could have been the pass of your career. And really? Andrew Ryan just comes up with an unbelievable play there. Bloody Bobcat, you know. Um, but that's why he was good, because he never stopped working. That ink, like that, that would have been on the belt, and we're down by three. So once the tries scored, it would have been pandemonium. But again, it's those little efforts, you know. And we could have been in front before that, but Bobcat made a tackle on Chris Walker. Chris Texas got the ball, he's bounced back infield and and straightened near the post, and he was through. And, and again, Bobcat's come from the inside and made a legs tackle, and he's pulled him up uh, a bee's dick short, you know. So I think the disappointing thing with that game is we played nowhere near our best, and I'm sure the dogs would say the same, but. Like I said, it was a bludger of a game. We didn't play well, and, and we're in a position where 
99 times out of 100 of them, not previous 99 times, we nail them, you know. We, we kick it in the corner. We don't give you a chance to breathe where that game, we just gave far too many opportunities to the dogs and, you know, we got punished. Mate, uh, I was at that grand final and I remember after, you know, we, we, we sort of lived in the eastern suburbs, so we, we went to Bondi Junction to see you guys, you know, get back there. Not not Rooster fans, but just to see what was going on. And I remember you guys getting off the bus and I saw you get off the bus 12 months earlier against Penrith and it's just a different look. It was like, it was a, they just looked so demoralised by what had happened. And in my opinion, the 2004 side was better than 03. And dare I say, I think the 04 side was better than 02. It must have been heartbreaking. Yeah, it was in 03. I don't speak for myself, but it's sort of just happy to play in your first grand final. You know, you, you just, but the second year, like I said, mate, we were minor premiers. That was our worst game of the season. Now you lose your second in the row for me, and it, it was heartbreaking. And, and that sort of was the end of the, the beginning of the end for, for that team. You know, Freddie retires, and the cracks were appearing. You know, the, the club really struggled the next couple of years, three or four years, um, and took a while for the club to rebuild again. But we lived our life so hard and, and so extreme at all levels, playing, training, and, and off-field, it had to end eventually, you know, and... I don't know if it's hindsight or a sixth sense we had, but we knew it was over. Freddie was retiring. I know, I know I didn't drink at all that that for the next 48 hours. You know, I didn't even have a beer. I was just devastated. Um, I didn't have my first beer till uh, Tuesday lunchtime. You know, I didn't drink at Mad Monday. Didn't, like, I was dead. Like, and, and sometimes you're devastated after grand final losses, but come Monday, yeah, you just, you know, you're ripping in. And, but it wasn't like, it was a real somber feeling and, it was that we really feel we missed the boat. And again, we dominated that season. The dogs had a tremendous team as well, don't get me wrong. But we were minor premiers and um, you know, for the large parts of the game, we large parts of the season, we, we, we were extremely dominant against most teams. So without a doubt, um, that one stuck in, you know, made me sick in my guts for a long time. And the only time I had an opportunity to atone for it with the storm was that was the that, that feeling of race. But yeah, that one that one hurt more than more than uh, Penrith, that was for sure. I've said it a few times on here. In my opinion, it's the 2001 Eagles and the 2004 Roosters as the best teams to not win a premiership. Um, yeah. I imagine in the change rooms after, especially being Freddie's last game, you know, explain to me the emotion around Freddie after that game. I felt like I let him down, you know. I just felt if we lost, I, I could have scored 12 tries in the game, but it's my fault. If we lose, it's my fault. I'm the halfback. So I felt like I let him down. He's me hero. I remember saying to his mum, uh, we had a big testimony, like not a testimony, like a tribute night for him. Uh, on the Tuesday night, we're playing the, the Eels on the Sunday, the last premiership, the last game. So we need to win the win minor premiership. Speaking to Fred's mum, and she goes, promise me two things, win the grand final and win on Sunday. So I said, I promise you that. Mrs. Fittler, we'll win on Sunday. We're all blind. We're all on the drink. It's Tuesday night. We're playing. We're all on the drink. I said, we'll win on Sunday. We'll win the premiership for Freddie. And he is my hero. He still is my hero, you know, like, Childhood hero, I loved, loved it, loved the bike. And we got the far, first part done on a minor premiership, but to let, let him down on the biggest stage, and we didn't play well. If you play well and lose, you can half wear it. We played shit house, you know. And, and like I said before, I may, I didn't play well, but even if I played well, I still would have felt like it was my fault because that's that's how I took games. If you didn't win, it was, it was my fault. You know, I took the blame. So I certainly, you know, I, uh, myself, I would take the blame in, in meetings or videos or to the general poll to the media and then I did I come to me and said that's it's my fault I, I feel like I, I cost them the game so it's a somber dressing room and like I said it was a somber few days and even the 
you know, you get to a week later, you have the presentation night, you usually fire up and have some fun. It was, I had a couple of beers, did the awards and home, you know. Mate, obviously Brad Fittler, you know, he leaves the building at the end of 2004, 2005 rolls around. What's that? Freddie leaves the building and the building falls apart. <laughs> Mate, I, what, was it hard to get up for 2005? I imagine, you know, you guys were training so hard those three years and, you know, I, I, I would guess it's a little bit easier to train hard when you're successful, but when it's not going your way, you train even harder. And you mentioned yeah. like quicksand before. I imagine it would have been like that. Yeah, well, mate, we trained, trained just as hard. We had a really good squad. Thought we are going to go again. The game was sort of changed. We've seen 2005, the Tigers run with more exchange of passes. We'll very one out. We'll try and beat the kick early. You know, the game had sort of evolved. And Tim Sheens was smart with that to beat that sort of rush defence target. The edges were short in and change of passes. Running out of gas. One thing about that Roosters team from 2000 to 2004, they, they made four, four out of the five grand finals. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. But they're not spoken about as one of the great teams because you only win one comp. But to get to that level, and I was there for the two of the years, but to, to, to get to that level, a lot of those guys played in the four grand finals in that five-year period. It sucks the juice out of you. You know, you play until October, and then, you you know, the boys going on kangaroo tours to November, December, you know, and eventually it, it, it gets you at the back end. And if you're burning the candle at both ends, that don't help. And, mate, we really miss Freddie because Freddie was a great buffer between the coaches and the, and the players, you know, because Stick was quite hard. But Fred had that relationship where he goes, mate, come on, Stick, you're probably going on a bit there or, mate, go for your life. So he was a real great buffer. We didn't have that. And, and I know for Sticky, mate, to coach the first grade at that time, there was a lot of pressure on him. Yeah. Like the, the pressure from the top was on him. He put it onto me. I put it onto the teammates, you know. And like you said, when we started losing or we weren't going so good, what was successful for us was to work hard. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to keep working hard. Or we're going to work harder, you know? And I understood that. And that was the way I did things. So I was with that with Ricky. But, you know, we, we just – the game, that our style had to change, you know, and, and that our run had sort of come to an end and we struggled there for the next two years. Mate, obviously 2005, you you missed the finals for the first time in ages. But I guess the one silver lining, your good mate Anthony Minicello, his football is just on another level that year. Oh, mate. I think it changes the way fullbacks play. So all these fullbacks now earning $1.3 million. You think the mountain cat. Um, back, back in the early 2000s, late 90s, if you kicked you know, down into the corner, you'd only have five or six blokes chase down that side of the field. Fullback would just run out your tackling. You know? The mountain cat, the, you know, many of the human pinball, he'd bounce off two blokes. He'd be on the other side of the field in no time, yep. make a break. He was the first fullback with the 20 carries a game, 300 metres effort, you know. Fullbacks didn't do do what he did. You know, he'd be taking hit-ups off the scrum coming out of your end and play ones and plays twos. Um, he changed the game. And, and I remember uh, with Billy Slater, towards the end of his career, it was the 300th game or 250th or something with Bill. There was an article, and I was with Billy down in Melbourne. And he had an article on the five most influential people in his career. It was with his mum and dad and someone else. And he had Craig Bellamy and Cameron Smith. And he had Anthony Minicello. And he wrote a piece on each one and what they meant to him. He said, Minnie, I've only met Minnie once. So he's not a mate. You know, I, seems like a lovely bloke, but I don't know him well. He said, but he changed me again because Craig Bellamy came to me with a DVD in 05 and said, if you want to be the best, play, watch this. This is the standard. And I feel for Minnie because Minnie, Minnie won two Harry Sutherland medals, which is the Kangaroo Tour player, of the player of the tour. 
He won a golden boot, won two Wally Lewis medals, unlike Dalian fullback of the year. He was the best. He was the best fullback in the game, probably the best player in the game, and not the world. And for, for me, which I feel sorry, his injuries took him off the top of the mountain. It's a bit like, if you're going to knock me off my throne, I want you to want you to beat me off it. You know, not couldn't fight for his jumpers, you know, and he has a horrific run of neck and back injuries, and he doesn't get back to sort of 07, 08, 09 to fully fitness. And by that stage, Carmichael Hope comes through, Brett Stewart, Billy was on the scene, you know, like, there's all these developments of great fullback, and fullback had gone to that next level, you know, in the importance because of how many played the game. So I felt, felt for him, being a close man, you know, it was extremely hard to watch the sidelines, the game go, wasn't and he couldn't put up a fight because of the injury. So, but but you're right, mate. He, during that period, he was he was unstoppable, mate. And on and off the field, he was a single. I was living with him. I would know. He's a good looking rooster, mate. They love the mountain cat, I said, mate. We'd be leaving the nightclubs and we going, mate. How did you? How have you done this? I've been with you all night. You know, <laughs> you're a genius. Um, it helped me out being a battler. I run off the, the mountain. Cat. I set you up for a few tries on the field. You set me up for a few off, but. Uh, He's a, you know, my best mate, and I, I love playing with him. But he's he's one of those infectious blokes. He was just high energy, fun to be around. If ever you tell him a joke, you want to tell me because he'll laugh at anything. You know, he was great for my story. He just <laughs> made me feel great. He's laughing. Um, yeah, and, and you're right. He he was off the charts that year. Let me ask you, Brett. If those injuries didn't happen, a hypothetical. Where do we sit on the argument as far as the best fullback ever, in your opinion? You you know, you played with both Slater and with Minicello, obviously very different fullbacks, but as you said, Minicello was cut down at his absolute peak. Where do you think it, it, it would have finished with both of them? Well, Mini gets injured at the end of 05, like the off-season, start of 06. So that's the start of – like, we won three Origins before that. Mini's not there. So Origin starts the run. Slater still would have been great. Or he's one of the greats. It's a bit like – Benzie has a wedding, I think, his own wedding. So he stands down from the Tri-Series in 2006. Smithy gets a chance and he never plays hooker again. Yeah. Now, Mini was like that. Now, players still might play better than you, but but those rep teams, they're harder to get out than get in. If you're still winning and playing good enough, they pick you, you know? Um, so you never know. Like someone like Billy or these folks may, may never have got the opportunity at rep level that we've seen, even if they could have been as great as what they were, you know? Um, and they were champions, but... Now, during that period, early to mid, start of 2000, that five or six year period, Mini was, without doubt, I think one of the, you know, he was the best and most consistent player in the game. And then he was playing Origins and Tests. You know, I think he played more games in that period, you know, about 30, 20 more games or 15 more games than the next person in the comp, you know. And, um, you know, he was just a rock star. Mate, obviously that 05, 06, 07 for the Roosters, not overly flash. And obviously the years before that, when you're making grand finals, you're playing Origin, you're almost win- winning Dally M's, you know, you're the halfback. So you get all of the praise that comes with it. When your team's going shit house, you wear 90% of it. And you might have been the king of wearing shit when teams weren't going well. 99. It is, mate. And, and that's, but that's why I love halfback. I wouldn't change anyone else. I've, you know, there's been games you walk off field and go, well, you won because of me. You know, that's why I love – that's the mentality. I wanted to make a difference. Now, I went through a tough period there. I wasn't playing great footy, but, uh, you know, that's – Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's part of the journey, and that's what makes who you are. And again, I felt like that time I learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about the game. And, you know, I was never the, the most talented player, but I was resilient as anyone, you know, like picking a player on pure skill and talent you're not going to pick me but if you want someone who's resilient and will do anything to win I'm your man so I doubt I, you know, I didn't play well during that period and the team suffered as well but you certainly gathered a plenty of resiliency and you know the, the thick skin you know I, I had thick skin about myself you know and um, you know that helps you know for me back into my career Mate I imagine you know, your relationship with Ricky Stewart would have changed a lot between 2003 and 2007. I imagine 03 and 04, you have had a great time together, most of it. And then after that, when the team's yours and they're not going so well, and the as you said, the pressure's mounting on him and he's feeding that down to you. You know, how did it all end with Ricky Stewart? Was there, was there any, like, standout sprays from him, you remember? Me and Stick get on good, you know, and, and he had a huge part to play in development as a player. When it was good, it was great. With me and Stick. But when it went bad, it was pretty heavy at times. You know? And we're similar blokes. If he's got a problem with me, he's going to tell me. If I've got a problem with him, I'm going to say, you know, I'm, you're the case, but I'll tell you, I think you're not doing your job right as much as you're not. You know, like, you know, probably poor choice words for me there, but you know what I mean? We, we I certainly, if I thought, mate, we need to change that there, or you, you know, like we, we were similar characters and we both wanted the best for the team. You know, there's pressure on Stick from the board, you know, because the board expected to win. Board thoughts coming, and that's why the Roosters are a great club. The board thinks seconds of failure, but like ninth, yeah. Um, and the pressure was on Stick. Stick, and that you know he rides his halfback because he's a former great halfback. And then I'd be riding the team, and when you're losing, that can become really negative. And you know, as a period there, I was really negative and hard on the boys because I knew you'll make a mistake, you miss a tackle, we lose the game. I'm going to go get, I'm going to go get a butt chewing from Sticky, you know. And it's at times it was quite volatile. And, and personal and the sledge, the, sling, the, the sledging matches or the, the argument to the point where, you know, you'd have to be part, you know, pushed apart, you know, like, so I've got all that, but it's only because me and Sticky cared, you know, like some other blokes in the team, they wouldn't have known, you know, you know we're probably two of the hardest working blokes in the club, but we're at each other because we care and, you know, we, we, this mattered to us. We didn't like the position we in. We didn't want to lose. See, Sticky Sticky hates losing. And that's why it's so great to be around, you know. At the end of those six, we both lived together. And I thought that was fair enough, you know. We left fine, you know. He, I, I don't know, he spoke to me, mum and dad, later years and apologised to them. Out. He went too hard on me. Yeah, sure. I, I look back, it could have been too hard, but it made me feel I watched, you know. Like, I went like, after that. Nothing after that that could rattle my cage, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> Bulletproof. Skin like an African rhino now, you know. Let's go. Like, it was, and it, it, it helped me down the track, but. Um, you know, I, I had some great times with Sticky. You know, he, you know, he, he was he was great at bringing a team together, and, and you wanted to play for him, and he, he'd have you back. You know, uh, unfortunately, we the last two years weren't great, but the first couple were two of the best years of my life. What uh, what was the best razz that you got from Sticky? Oh, Sticky never. So he bit me. Oh, the best I've best I heard was um, direct. The best I got was off St- uh, Gus. Sits me down once the I put a kick in the goal. Gus takes over a video session. I don't even know what he was what he was doing there. <laughs> and I put a kick in the goal, and it stops about that far from dead ball line. 
we're playing the Sharks actually every Friday night, and Sir Soliola charges down. And like, I'm thinking, Sir, steady up a bit here. Like, we've got him in, the, in goal just steady. So David Peachy picks it up. Sir is just a rookie. He just comes charging down. Wet, slippery surface. Peach just steps him in. And Gus blames them on me kicking. I said, fuck, like, he hammered me the whole session, Gus. Every time I touched the ball, he was just yelling out, amateurish, you know, in front of the, everyone. I'm like, oh, what's fuck going on here? Anyway, I said, come on, Gus. I said, that's not my fault, mate. That kick stopped half a metre from the end goal. And, like, he's turned around because I was sitting behind him. Gus's head was purple. Like, it was the closest thing to purple someone said. <laughs> and he goes, listen here, you smart mouth boy. He goes, I'll have you back in camera quicker than I got you here. And it's like, just this. And like, you know, those cartoons you see, like, you blow someone back in their suit. It's like that. And I look over at Sticky. Sticky's an ass. He sits there like, he's giggling, you know. Like he's, but, um, no, it's me and Sticky. We've never got to. That, that was the best spray I ever got. But, yeah, no, I think I've heard some beauty. Sticky, one of the boys, did a prayer before the game. His name, his name shall remain nameless, the player that shall remain nameless. But he went out there that, and they were bombing him. He was dropping eight million balls, bombs, and knocking them dead. He's all over the shop. Come in half time, I said, sick as Jesus Christ, so and so. says, I don't see God helping you out there catch those balls. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, mate, what's, what's his prayer before the game got to do with it? But uh, it's quite a key. Mate, obviously, after you're at the Roosters, you make the move to the Parramatta Eels. How did that come about? Yeah, Michael Hagen went there. I'd, I'd been involved with Hags at the Knights and the Mariners. Family friend, he, he wanted to get me on board. Then Johnny Morris was leaving to the Tigers. So it was like 5'8". I was happy to move out of that halfback role. You know, I wanted to play 5'8", and Timmy Smith was the halfback. And Paramount had come eighth the year before, so they were a team who, who were only going to get better. And, um, you know, I really liked the way Hags went about it, and, and I dealt with him before. So, uh, And I had to probably get out of the Roosters, you know. I had a year to go on my contract, but... Um, I, I felt it was the right time to get out at the end of those six and, and go to Parra with, with Hayes. Obviously, mate, that Parramatta Eels squad, a lot of older heads, but, you know, a real mix of younger blokes as well. It was it was a real mixture of a footy side. How did you find it? Yeah, mate, probably as good a mix in terms of what you're looking for in a team as any team I've been in in my career. A couple of old heart now, named Nate Kalis, the skipper, a real experienced, great leader, Hindy, uh, Ian Hindmarsh, Chad Robinson. Then you had blokes like me and Piggy Riddell just under that. You know, we were the characters and we'd you know, fire them up a bit out there, you know, have a bit of fun. Um, and then some young blokes like Timmy Smith. But then the emergence of Hayne, Zaninu, Felitti Mateo, uh, and some real tradesmen like Benny Smith, Daniel Wagon, you know. But, so it was a perfect mix of, of a team. We get beat by Melbourne the week before the grand final. And we really pushed them. They, they scored a late try late to beat us. I think they got away. They end up winning by eight, but we led most of the game. It's funny, there's three teams, Manly, Parramatta, and Melbourne that year, where Manly would smash us, Melbourne would smash Manly, but we would trouble Melbourne. You know, like Melbourne never, Manly could never trouble Melbourne, but dropped the ball over the line in round 18 down there, which and would have won us the game with a minute going, and we only just get beat in the semi. So we had a really good team. Um, and again, it was good for me because I was playing five eight, so you know, I was I was the second banana, so there was a bit of pressure off me there, and just got to enjoy my footy for the first time in a few years. Mate, the uh, two thousand and eight season rolls around, and of course, it's the centenary of rugby league, and I think this might be my favourite Brett Finch story. They they get all the players together for a photo, and you being the dickhead you are, finish this story for me. And I'm I'm talking to Brent Kite. I played for three clubs there, but mate, I was the, I knew more people in rugby league than anyone. You know they. Those things are my bread and butter. Like, every player's there, all the staff. So I'm holding court. 
Boys would be looking over here, I'd be having a group of 50 blokes in the group. So, you know, just, I, I'd been involved, that was 2008, so that was me. That was my tenth year uh, in the in the um, uh, in the in the game. So I'd been involved and knew a lot of people. I was talking to Kitey, Brent Kite, grew up with Kitey in Canberra, we played Australian schoolboys together, went to Arundel College together. He was at Manly at this stage. Yep. And he goes, they called over for all Polynesians to go to the ballroom to get um get um the Polynesian photos all for the team of the century. <laughs> Cody goes, why don't you come in? I said, no, goes, come on, come in. I said, you know, I'll come in. So I hide behind a couple of the big boppers. I get in there and so there's obviously there's players there or whatever, all in a big photo across this big stand. And I get in behind Mace. Mace doesn't know I'm behind him. And I'm, you know, I mean, Mace, a childhood mates. And I said, oh, excuse me, Willie, can you just push aside a bit? And he's sort of like turns and like just to turn and go, yeah, no worries. Even though, you know, it's like hitting him like, and he just cracks up laughing and then Jerry's like what's the laugh and the boys turn and the cameraman's none the wiser sitting there snapping away and it just the laughing just went along the along the line if you could ever get a bloke who not only was I not Polynesian I start saying I'm mouldy and all this <laughs> mate I'm that white you know in the middle of winter my, my shade my neck shade's invisible you know I'm trying to loose it you know my disgust, looks like I've been tanning under the house I'm baking on the moon um, so the boys had a laugh out of it. And more of, uh, I think the last bloke to know was the photographer. You know, he, he kept snapping away, and then he's obviously looked up and said, Why is everyone in stitches? And then he's thrown up, and he's this buck tooth one of the fellow smack bang in the middle. Mate, you're a complete not a menace. I can use youth as an excuse then. Hopefully, with age, I've settled down a bit. Mate, the next year, 2009. One of the most surreal rugby league stories, in my opinion. You start the the year with the Eels. I think you're two and two, and you play your last game, and then within a few weeks, you end up down at the Melbourne Storm. How did that come about? You know, at the start of that year, how big it like if I had went for a drink on a Sunday and I trained Monday, I trained harder than anything on Monday. You know, I, I had a bit of a reputation that that liked to be, but I, I trained as hard as anyone. Um, my training sort of dropped off, and that was. That was my my edge to me as a player is that I'd try and out-train you, you know? You know, I'd, you know, I was fit as a player, but I was a gut runner as well. So you might be naturally better at running, but I ain't stopping until you drop, you know? Like, I'd outwork bikes. That was, that's how I tried to that was my relevance to a team, my enthusiasm, my energy, you know? I wasn't overly skillful or creative. So when I lost a bit of that desire, I'd always been a big fish in a small pond in my teams. I'd played four games, like you said, into a three-year contract. I just walked. I asked to refer release. I had no club. I hadn't spoke to any club. I just walked out. I thought I was going to retire. Already played over 200 games at this stage. Played about 210 games. Um, I was in my 11th year, I think, and I was only 27. So, you know, it was one of those moments. I walked out like, I never had no problem with Daniel Anderson. Me, me and Endo were fine. But I knew, mate, there's no point in me going to return grade. I was on a lot of money. I'm going to be a cancer back there because my attitude suffered. And if my attitude's not going to be, it's not going to be good for the club. You know, and, and I was still living in Bondi, so driving out there every day, I just lost the urge to play, you know. I had a season in 08 where some other blokes probably didn't, they tried, but didn't probably have the best attitudes, which wanes on me. I'm, going, I'm driving in here all this way and one's not all in, and then it affects my attitude. And so I said, Endo, mate, just I want to release. He said, well, where are you going? I said, nowhere. Maybe England, maybe retired. I had no, I had no, um, I hadn't spoke to Melbourne, spoke to anyone. I just, I just had enough. And then I was thinking of retiring and, 
I get a call from uh, Matty Johns, who was working with Storm. He rings me, Bellyoke, then rings me. He said, would you be interested? Uh, I said, mate, yeah, sure. He goes, we need, need a 5-8 down here. All I had to do was catch and pass to Greg Inglis. He'd beat eight blokes and I'd get a trice. So it Tough gig. Good, uh, it was a pretty good job, old GI. Uh, I couldn't get it in and out of my hands quick enough. But it was a great – and I was down in Melbourne. I love Melbourne. It was the end of my career. Uh, I, the year before I had to go back and play halfback was Timmy left and went to England. I didn't want to play halfback. I wanted to play. I wanted to step out of that main role. So to go down to Melbourne in a high class environment, and all of a sudden it re-energised me because they don't need me. They've won three straight. They've made three straight grand finals. One one. Now we'd love to have you feature. We think you can help us, but if your attitude's not good enough, we'll just get someone else in. It's not like so. All of a sudden I'm a small feature at a big pond, and it fired me up again. And, it got me working. It got the hunger back. And I was as a player, hard-working player, you know. And, and, and I was down there, and I, and I think I was good for me in a way where, you know, I was pretty good at lightening the mood at the right time. But I knew when to train hard. And I, I love working with Craig Bellamy. He's just the best. Leadership is unbelievable. It's off the charts. And some great senior players down there, obviously. Cameron Smith, Bill Cooper. Brett White at the time, Dallas Johnson. So it was, it was a great club to be a part of. Mate, round 18 of that season, you know, the Melbourne Storm, you're sitting pretty in the top four. You look over the fence of the Parramatta Eels, they're sitting 14th. Their, their record's 6-10 and 10 or something. You must be sitting sitting there going, fuck, I've made a great call here, one of my best. And then... I thought Jared... I got it right. I thought I got it right. Then, Hainsey just tries to play. Yeah, Hainsey just explodes. And just like nothing we've ever seen before. Mate, I, I could not agree more. That period... He's had a couple of things. 2014 was another year when he won the Dalian. The period of football, or you know, the formal, that, you know, that 12-week period, mate, I think that's the, the greatest individual form for that short period, you know, in a block of time ever. It was off the charts. He's chipping and chasing. He's throwing cutout balls. He's passing around the back. He's throwing, no, he was doing it every week. And they had to keep winning. They couldn't lose. So it's like, oh, I it can't happen now. It's been going for four weeks. He won't do a fight. He kept going. And it kept going. You know, and on the back of that, you got, you know, Daniel Mortimer had a great season. And Fui's come along. Faletti, you know, and the, and the juggernaut continued. And, and I think Dean Lennon's game plan just opened him up and, and encouraged him to play. And Haynes, was unbelievable. Man, they scored that try against um, the first week of the semis. Yeah, Dragons. He had come back and beat eight blokes. Darius Boyd was one of the great fullback defenders then. And that's the George Timmer minor premiers. He went straight through the middle of them like they were under tens, you know. Like he was, he was off the charts, and then so it happened, you know. We're, I'm at home in Melbourne, and we don't, we didn't get Channel Nine Footy live down there, so I'm watching the, the little box in Fox Sports, you know, the, the updated sports, and they're playing the Bulldogs in the major semi, and I could see him winning, and we're playing the next <laughs> time. I was like, it couldn't be. I played the uh, played my former team in the um, not only former, former team from that year, played for both teams. In, Mate, it would only happen to you. It could. I'm the only person to do it. What was the uh, if Parramatta would have won that? Are you getting are you getting a match here from there? Are you getting ring? What's doing? Well, I got the runners up bonus and I got the green bonus. Because <laughs> I was on both I was on both rosters and I got a boat in the car because I was down at Melbourne as well. So <laughs> it was a, it was a terrific year for me. And then obviously the salary cap stuff. I always go well. I won the grand final because I was part of um, Melbourne, but I lost the grand final because I was also part of Parramatta. But I won it because I finished with Melbourne. But if they take it off me, I lose it. But I win it again anyway because I was played from Paramount. So they have to give it to them. So, oh, mate, obviously the salary cap stuff happened. But in the end, it's yeah, how I can, how it panned out like that. It's, 
can only I can pull something like that off. Without a doubt, mate. We'll get to the salary cap at the moment, but that that 2009 grand final, like you low key have a pretty handy game yourself. You lay on the first try for Ryan Hoffman. Um, I think you had a hand in the Adam Blair try. You took it down the left side of the ruck. You threw it back to Cooper on the other side. It must have been so exciting for you to finally win that grand final after what you'd been through at the Roosters. Hundred percent, mate. And it's funny. I was doing a third of the work at Melbourne and getting more praise, where I was busting my ass at Parra and yeah. not getting the results, not playing well, and you're, you're under the pump. I was touching the ball a third of the time, so yeah, that was probably good for me because it's chance to make errors and you know more quality. And I just knew we were going to win. You know, just, I was at the end of my career. You know, I knew the players around me. I knew the boys on the other side. No disrespect to them. I knew that the mob I was playing with was a better team than them. You know, yeah. I knew we were a better team. We could do a job on Haynes, and if we could do that, we would you know win the game. And they come back late at us. I mean, we're under the pump there the last five minutes, but we'll pretty much control most of the game. And the Hoffy try, and we, we had we watched video during the weekend, and their right edge, Eric Grace is the right winger, uh, Joel Reddy was the right center. So I'm on the left edge with Hoffy and GI. And we a bit of space between uh, GI, uh, sorry, uh, Joel Reddy, Rocket, and um, Guru where they defended. There's a lot of space between their centre and winger. So we come up with that play, but the play was for Hoffy to be inside Joel Reddy, G.I. to be outside Joel, and for me to hit G.I. Because that's the space we're targeting. We've practised that all week. This was the first play we're going to do. So we practice. We go to, we go to um, morning of the game. I'm reading the paper. There's an article on Joel Reddy who's coming up against G.I. Obviously, G.I.'s a superstar of the game, dominated most opponents. I think he scored three or four tries a week before in the semi against Brisbane. They said, how do you contain him, Joel? Well, what's the key to defending against G.I.? He goes, look, you just got to stay on him. You, you, you know, it's a lot of times the centers you try and protect your half for the back. But I can't do that. I've just got to stay on G.I. And, and leave Jeff Robson for Hoffy. He telegraphed it for you. Well, I just read it. And I go to Hoffy. I go, Hoffy, come here. Read this. And he's like, what? what? Poor old Hoffy had to spell that. He's going to stay on uh, G.I. I said, I'm going to hit you. I said, but don't tell GI because if he's not getting the ball, he won't run as hard. You know, with GI. I said, don't tell anyone. We didn't tell anyone. I told Smithy. Um, he goes, yeah, go for it. It's there. So GI thinks he's getting the ball. Hoffy took, you know, all because I've read this article. I've changed the play on the on the run. And sure enough, the key for me, I probably started a bit tight, but all I had to do was just get out a bit wider, just to hold um, Jeff Robson on me a touch, and I sort of double pumped to hold him enough and. Then I hit Hoff, which just gave him enough room on the outside and he brushed past Robson. We scored after five minutes and we were away. And we sort of, uh, you know, I felt really proud of that because I was sort of like the mastermind, you know, from the morning before. So it was uh, it was a good game and I had a hand in another game. But the good thing about that team, you do your job, you know. They don't ask for you to come up with miracles and you, you, each one's got a job and what the expectation is and, and they just got to make sure you do it and do it well. I think that game for me, that summed up what the Melbourne Storm are. I mean, you were coming up against the Parramatta Eels who had Hayne, who was an absolute juggernaut. And Melbourne being Melbourne went, you know, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us a different way to using Hayne. We're going to take your strength away from you and you have to find another way. Without a doubt. I I love the NFL. Brett Favre, the old Green Bay Packers quarterback's my hero. I love Tom Brady. I love champions. I love the Patriots. And the do your job mentality and how Belichick, it reminds me so much of how Belichick coaches the same as Belichick. They take, you take away the opposition strength. Yep. And that was like us. We're going, if you're going to beat us, you're not going to beat us with Maisie. So, um, you know, for, in the NFL terms, if they've got a great wide receiver, you know, they'll leave the, the, the box open for you. If you're going to beat it, you can run, you can run against us, you know, but you're not going to beat us by passing to their, their strength on the, on the outside. So that we, 
we knew that with Hainsey, we, we had a type of, we had a call for him because Hainsey loved bouncing across our, and, and actually we had a soldier call, we called, we were all going to keep moving together, keep moving up because a lot of teams watched him and they watched him bounce across the line in front, we all keep moving up all, so we had that call and the big thing too was if it was an offload out the back, the soldier call meant that the offloaded pass because sometimes you're in a tackle and you don't know the offloads there. So the soldier call meant the ball's gone. So if you're on the tackle, get up and, and find that line to fill that space in because they had some blokes who could get in in between you and on off, offloads. They were playing a lot of ad-lib footage. So we had a start, we had a plan we thought would be successful. It was really was. We took Hainsey out of the game. Uh, I certainly nullified, you know, a, a lot of those big plays that he'd had in the previous weeks and, um, you know, yeah, it, it certainly helped us to win the game. Mate, it's just amazing what Melbourne are able to do. I mean, you just explained that to me, and to be perfectly honest with you, it doesn't sound overly difficult, but there'd been 11 weeks before that where teams, they just simply couldn't put him down, could they? Well, you might have one by ch- chasing him out of line, or, you know, he's lost two players now. If they bounce across, all of a sudden they can put the edge under pressure because she's, but with Craig, it's go and get him, you know. If, you know, he's in front of you, go and get him, and that was the mentality for all of us. You wanted, we, we didn't want him to feel comfortable, keep chasing him, you know. Um, you know, that, that's the real pressure. If you, if you've seen that try explaining against the Dragons, the Dragons let him skip, skip across the line. And for someone like Hainsey, he's just picking his mark where he straightens and which defender he targets. So you, you, you're giving the power to him where if you keep moving forward and going after him, he's still worried about because he's got someone on his tail chasing his ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you don't give him the opportunity to relax and then look up and, and pick his mark on where he's going to go to, you know? So you, or like any great players, you've got to try and cut down their time because... You know, you give them time and space. You know, they're just going to, you know, you might get them the first time, but if you continue to give it to them, they're going to hurt you. Imagine after that game, the siren goes, get presented the trophy, you know, lap of honour. I imagine the next two or three days, you would have had some fun. Run me through the diary. I reckon the next two or three months, mate, it was was the best two months. (laughs) Two months of my life, footy terms. We flew back to Melbourne. I flew back to Melbourne the Sunday. I ended up going in the cross the Sunday night. I had a mate. Sound Sailor and Sapphire Sweet. I'll get into trouble here, but it was a long weekend and it closed at five, but he kept it open for me and a few of the boys. Stayed there till about 10 in the morning. We go back to, back out to Homebush at the Pullman. We go back home to Melbourne, uh, have the, the parade with the fans. Tuesday night we had a great party at Molly's house and Wednesday I went to, to Vegas for Chris Walker's Bucks party. So um, I went there for four or five days and we, then I flew from Vegas to... Um, San Lucas down in Mexico to meet the boys on a trip away. I went back to LA for a week and then um, went back to Melbourne. It was the, the spring carnival. So, and then after that, I slept for about three weeks. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was great. It was a great time in life. I was a single bloke, ended my career and achieved just, you know, the, the only thing I'd ever wanted to achieve. That's all I'd ever wanted to do since I was a kid. Finchie, I think I'd rather do time than go to Chris Walker's Bucks party. I had a few allies there. I had um, I had Minnie with me, another mate, Simon Anderson. We come over. So Texas is one of my good mates, but you have got to go prepared. You can't leave yourself <laughs> one out. Texas, maybe that was a funny thing. He, the best thing about Texas, from like a hundred days yet, he was texting me and Minnie in that hundred days to go, ninety-nine days to Vegas. We we get the point. Texas, ninety-eight days. To, we get over there, have our first big night. The next day we're at breakfast. He goes, I want to go home. I'm like. <laughs> Mate, it's your Bucks party. You've been interested to get us. I said, mate, I left me grand final celebrations come over here. You have one night. You bombarded us from 100 days out about how good this trip's going to be. You have one night there. You're hungover and you want to go home. <laughs> you get to the bar and go buy some tequilas. You know, like, fucking. But uh, he was a classic Texas. You're right, but he's uh, just being with Texas is a roller coaster in itself, let alone 
be with Texas in Vegas as a double roller coaster. Mate, uh, yeah. When when I see him on social media now, it's a roller coaster just seeing what he's up to. He's just he's just a hundred miles an hour, isn't he? Mate, he's calling players out and all this. Like, I'm like, oh, Texas, my good mates, you do anything for me, but geez, I, I have a laugh with some of the stuff he gets up to. Mate, obviously 2009, you you win that grand final. You have the four or five week party after that. You're absolutely flying at. You're all over the world. 2010 comes back. How did it feel coming back into that preseason? Obviously, you know, no one had gone back-to-back in a long time and you, you had a really strong side there and, you know, obviously it would all go to carnage soon. But tell me about that preseason in 2010. What was the feeling? As, as, as confident as ever, I've ever been, um, my hunger for success, sometimes you think you've achieved what you want to achieve. It's, now it's, see, I always say people who never win a grand final always go, I would love to have won one. People who win your grand final, go, I should have won two. You mean know, like if you never won one, all I ever wanted to do was win one grand final. Yeah. But then once I had it, I want, I want more. I'm not, and, and it, where I thought it might be, you know, I'm satisfied with that. It, it, it stoked the fire more. You know, and the hunger in the team was outstanding. The tra- like training was as hard as I've ever, it's as fit as I've ever been. Because training was so hard down there, and started that year we won the first five or six games or something like that. And we were out of the blocks. We lost Will Chambers to Union. Dallas Johnson left. But other than that, we kept the squad. And um, I think we played the, the the Dragons, who were undefeated at the same time around. I think Easter Friday were both undefeated. And we, we put them to the sword. We won about 17-4 or 6 or something like that. But we, we started on fire. I really think if what didn't happen, we, we, we would have been a real good shot at winning the grand final. But as, as everyone knows, we're, we're only about $15 million over the salary cap. So, um, <laughs> The funny thing was, about the only time in my career I wasn't getting paid under the table, and I was filthy. <laughs> the, the thing was, uh, one of the one of the days that I had to do the, they got me on the um, the salary cap, got me on the media on the front page. I don't know if it was in the Telegraph up here or it was in the Herald Sun down there. Had the the, the garage door opening and there's a boat in GI's car. Oh, sorry, there's a boat in GI's garage, and he's we've got him opening his garage door, and someone snapped it. Fidgy, can you explain the boat in the back of the picture in the paper in GI's garage? So no, no, it's his boat. They go, pitch, come on. We know that's the boat. He was given on the Melbourne Storm. There's a picture of him. It's in his garage. I said, mate, it's GI's boat. They said, Fitchy, come on, mate. We know that's the boat that they give GI. I said, no, that's GI's boat. He had to buy that boat to get out to the boat that the Melbourne Storm gave him. <laughs> <laughs> so that made him laugh with the uh with the club that oh, sorry, with the club didn't go down well the joke with the club, but the, the boys had a laugh, but you know, it was a tough time. You know, I was there on, I think I, was, I signed for very little money to play there. And um, it's only a reward if you're not involved, I guess. So for me, I was a bit disappointed because I wasn't involved. And, um, you know, you played the rest of that year for, for, for no points. And, um, you know, for me personally, I sacrificed a lot of money to stay there in the hope to win another grand final. And I, it's, it was a couple of the best years of my life. And, I, you know, still be a part of that team playing for nothing. I think we still would have finished fourth help me sledging because we're smashing teams and I'm going what's wrong with you blokes you know I don't even want to be out here playing we're still flogging you all yeah. so I've been on the drink all night or we'd get a penalty against us and I'd go oh they found another $200 in Smithy sock you know and I'm like we'll just <laughs> and these teams are getting filthy because we'll boot them we cared but we're pretending like we didn't really care you know and that must give people the shits when you know uh, you're still kicking their bums but it was a tough year in periods but um, you know, certainly when it comes to an end everyone Everyone was exhausted. Everyone mentally, uh, physically uh, done and, and had enough. So it was, it was good to see the finish line and get the year over with. But I think we, you know, we certainly how we played and never gave up, kept that standard for the club to propel into that next decade. 
Mate, obviously, you know, there's a lot of peanuts around that want to make the argument, which I think is just beyond ridiculous that, you know, all the Melbourne players knew exactly what was going on. How would you respond to that? And I wasn't involved. I didn't have anything. I know it happens at a lot of clubs. I'll tell you it happens. It's got nothing to do with playing better. Yeah. Um, it's the way it is, you know. And, and, you know, it's whatever club you support. Tell me, Melbourne Storm, the only club that's won a grand final in the last 20 years that have paid under the table. There's not been one other team that's paid it. Like, come on. But we got caught. Simple as that. Yeah. To be honest, face facts, it happens. It would still happen right now. I'm not involved in any clubs, but I guarantee it happens somewhere. You know? make you tackle hard it doesn't make you get up and go train hard you know and and tell me any other business where there's a strain of trade of what you can earn you know luck if you can get the cash go for your life it's always going to be the diehards who hate a team and you know melbourne would hate a lot of people didn't like melbourne one because they were successful two because they're from melbourne and three because they were melbourne players uh who are queenslanders and they'll kick in our ass at state of origin level as well so it's like a triple whammy down there and the, the, the team copped a lot of criticism, but we did the wrong thing, so you just got to wear it and move on. How do you respond to people saying the 2009 Premiership? Obviously, you know, it'll always have an asterisk to it, and, you know, when people say that that Premiership doesn't count, obviously, being a player and going through the entire preseason, the season, how, how do you respond to that? Uh, exactly, mate. We, we um, mate, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. You know, we, we may be taking down the record books. I've still got my ring upstairs, and see what one, I'll tell you what, they can't take away that eight-week little dialogue I told you before about what I did after. So, you know, they're memories. Can't take away the relationships I've got with players down there. But you're right, we did the wrong thing, so people are entitled to say that. Um, and again, you're exactly right. I, I've, been, I've, I've been around the game a long, long time. Now, we did the wrong thing. So we deserve to be punished and we got caught. The excuse everyone does it, to, we got caught. We can't use that. We'll use the old Ben Johnson, the Seoul Olympics, you know, yeah, I cheated, but I was running in a fair race. And yes, we cheated. But let me tell you, we were playing in a fair competition. You know, we, I know from a fact, because I played with clubs in the previous years that had happened. And But again, you can't use that excuse. We're the ones that got caught. You've got to wear that. And with that, you've got to wear um, those opinions that can come with it. So that's just the fact of life. Tell me about playing with Cameron Smith, mate. He's the best player I've, I've ever seen. I don't say that lightly. I'm a new, from new, halfback from Newcastle. And I put Cameron in front of Andrew just because of the durability, longevity. He's a great leader. He's a terrific leader. He doesn't uh, – I think – I don't know if you've ever seen the, the um, final dance with the Bulls, Jordan, how he said, you know, MJ doesn't ask anyone to do anything. He doesn't already do. And that's how I summed up Freddie and Smith and his leaders. They don't ask you to do anything they're not doing. You know, they, they lead by example. And, and – I really had the opportunity to those two great leaders. Freddie was when I was young, so I was really impressionable to Freddie. But when I went with Cameron, I'm two years older than Cameron. Tremendous respect for him. When I go down there, I'm older than him. I don't look at Kim like I looked at Freddie. You know? I respect for what he's done, but he's young, younger than me. He wasn't my childhood hero or anything like that, but I respect him. But his ability after one of the first games, he come up during the week and asked me how, we, how I thought we should play a team, on my opinion. You know, I'm sitting there going, why are you asking me? You're the smartest bloke in the team, you know? And he may not have given a rat's ass what I answered, but him asking me that, I straight away think, well, he cares about my opinion. Straight away, we'll go, there's no way I'm letting this bloke down because he, you know, he wants my input for this weekend. So I feel a part of what he's doing and the team's doing. And straight away, he, you know, I'm buying into everything they're doing, you know, and I'm not letting him down because he, he values my opinion, you know. And, and he could, he had a tremendous effect whether you're Fiji, you know, Kiwi, Aussie. Uh, indigenous kids, old, young, married, single, 
he could talk to anyone in the room, you know, and he had a great, he could bounce in any of those sections in the, in the change room. You know, you, you get people from all walks, different walks of life, different stages of their life, different ages, but he, you know, he could sit and talk to the president or sit in the, on the street and talk to someone, you know, he had, he had a mild, he's very charismatic and he's a tremendous leader with a, with a great will to win and the best player I've ever seen, mate. He's, what's he now? Third, like they're talking about if you time, he's still, is he in the top three Dallians or something like that? You know, like he's 30, what is he, 37? He's 170 looks, but that's ridiculous in this day and age. Playing in the middle, you know, I've seen the thing in the Telegraph the other day, he's got 5,000 more tackles than anyone else in like, the history of the game or since the tackles have been recorded. 6,000 tackles, that's about as many as I missed. He, he's made more than anyone else. So, um, you know, he's a tremendous player. And I think some of the shit he gets, it's agenda-driven, it's rubbish. What's, what's he done off the field? He's been nothing but a shining example for kids. Never got in trouble on the drink, never play, you know, never done any of this stuff. But for some reason, we want to have a shot at him because he's taken too long to make a decision. I'm sorry, all the journos out there will... Work, work by your when you want it done on your you know? schedule. Yeah. Well, they talk. Well, they talk about how it overshadows the game. You're the one talking about it. Don't don't write about it. And it won't overshadow it. So I, I can't believe how sometimes we take down some of our greats with just but that's that's league. We, no one shoots himself in the foot better than our game. We always have. Finchy, mate, I, I completely agree. He's the best player I've ever seen, in my opinion, too. Before Cameron Smith existed, did you ever think that a hooker would be the best player we, we'd ever seen? Well, I'm halfback. Yeah, know? yeah. You, you, it just had to be a seven, didn't it? Had to be. You know, I, I you know, like someone like a Madeiras. Like, don't get me words right here. Your halfback is your man. You know, like there's been great halfbacks and great number nine. John's Madeiras, Ricky Stewart, Steve Walters, Alan Langer, Kerrible. There's been plenty of them. Um, when you go back through the years, who, who else has there been? Um, you know, Freddie and Craig Wing. You know, the heart like it's your man was your half. You know. Yeah. You take the half out, you, you, you're gone. You know, you could take the nine out, you, could, you still had your half, you could, you could still deliver. But there, it was the nine, and, and he orchestrated everything. Everything went through the nine, which was no other team had done that. Your nine was your ball player, you know. And obviously, they had blokes like Cooper and Billy who were sensational champions in, in their own right, and, and they all come through together. But he was the big dog down there, and able to do what he did under such duress of how much work he would do in the position he was. To have such a clear head, you know, you'd look at the field, you'd usually look at my career, you'd go and watch me play, you could look at me and you'd know if we're 10 points up or down, I'd either be losing me shit or spitting the dummy on. You go and just, if you watch Cameron, you wouldn't know if you're up by 20 or down by 20. You don't change, you know, you, you know, like the Roger Federer, you know, just, he's not even sweating, you know, so, um, yeah, it's, he's, I always thought it'd be a seven, I never thought the sevens, but, you know, you look at bikes like the Desco now, you your nine and your number one are, you know, just as important, if not as important, as your, your number seven. Mate, you talked about Smithy, about how he controlled his emotions. You wouldn't know if he was up by 20 or down by 20, just cool as a cucumber. Your coach down in Melbourne, he could have been up by 20 or down by 20, and he's still completely and utterly losing his shit up there. Tell me about your relationship with Craig Bellamy. I get on great with Craig. Still scares the shit out of me today. Um, no, I've got tremendous respect for him. Um we're really close. We still keep in contact quite regularly. I've had a few struggles post-career. You know, he's always checked in to see how I'm doing to help, help me out in any way I can. Obviously, um, his wife's on Instagram and his wife, Wendy's on Instagram. The girls, they do what they do. So we're always checking in through there and checking in on how Mackenzie's going. And it's a terrific bloke, you know. It, Smith, the only two people who take the piss at him was Smithy and Will Chambers. Mate, I'll be going, I'll make a joke about bellyache. And it'll be funny. But there's no way I was laughing at that joke in front of while Craig's there, you know. Craig would look at me and I go, Fitch, is that funny? I go, mate, 
It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, Craig. And the will and that, we go, come on, you pussy. But there's no, like, I had that in, that much respect because he had that intimidation factor. You don't want to let him down, you know. Um, and you see him in the coach's box, but when he'd come down to the sheds, he'd be quite calm and he'd get his message across with what he, what he needed you to change, what you needed to improve, what you needed to do, what you needed to keep doing well. You know, he had a couple of points and by the time he'd give you a spray, you'd know you were going to get it, you know. So a lot of the times when you watch back the game, you watch him in the up and down in the box. That's a totally different person we see that comes. He comes into the shed quite relaxed and calm and, and delivers his message and gets his point across and hammers home what we need to focus on for the second half. And, and again, he, he's just a tremendous leader. He leads everything at that club. You know, he's the most important player, most important person in Melbourne Storm history, in my opinion. Then Smithy's underneath him because he sets the tone every day, you know, he, he wipes the slate keen every year. He starts every season like he hasn't won any, anything, like he hasn't achieved anything. When you're a young kid and you see he's like that, after everything he's done, you think, well, what right do I have to come in here with me chin in the air thinking I'm a superstar? And I'm like that. So if you're a dickhead, you don't last long down there because they're, they're hardest workers are the, the blokes who have achieved the most. And, and that's really hard because when you're successful and when you're a champion, you can achieve the same thing. You've got to work twice as hard just to achieve the same thing. You know, when, you, when you're coming up, of your work, you can see your progress. You might go from 10th to 6th to 4th, you know, so you keep working because you sit. After you've achieved that, you're now going to work twice as hard just to get that again. And, and that's when it tests people's desire and work ethic and all that, you know. So that's why I love champions. Like to see what the Roosters have done and the Melbourne to be at the top, never far away. It's and blokes like Trent Robinson and Belly they're, they're special people and, you know, to, to inspire and keep driving these players, you know, and uh, they're till the best. Mate, Craig Bellamy, when, you know, when you did sign with Melbourne, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I sort of went, oh, Jesus, I don't know, is this a good match? Is it, How's Craig Bellamy going to go with Brett Finch? You know, you've always had that larrikin about you, and of course, be, you know, Bellyache knew what he was getting himself into, but was there ever a point where you did push the envelope with him? Ah, never, mate. And, and I'm a bit smoke and mirrors with that larrikin. Like, a part of it's me, a part of it I play the game, I let, I let the reputation fuel itself and and post career you do you do the you know I was on the fox and you play you know it's a now don't get me wrong it's a large part of it's me but I play the character or I let the I let the character evolve you know I certainly don't let the rep, you know the truth get in the way of some of the, the legends you know and you go on them luncheons and that you know so you tell them the old story so no doubt that Larkin like was in me but when I was training or going to play footy mate I was more serious than anyone you know I was a psychopath I wanted to win that you know like so Craig knew that so that's why there's never an issue he now he knew, you know, obviously don't go too crazy off the field, but if I'm out having a beer, he didn't care because he knew when I came to work, you know, I was in there to work and I was serious about winning. And that's a side not, not a lot of people never seen. They only seen this other side, having a drink, having a dart, having a bet. If you didn't know your footy, the first person you look at, you go, well, this bloke doesn't give a rat's ass. But, you know, Craig, Craig sort of said, he's chalk and cheese once you come in. You know, I did the ability to compartmentalise and flick the switch and, what do we need to do? What's my job here? You know, I, I, I cared deeply about footy, and you know, it was very serious to me. Mate, what's the one about the uh, the recovery session that you showed up to for a couple of minutes in Melbourne? Yeah, mate, I went to um, back in 2013. I was going to play a bit of first reserve grade, and I was going to originally going to coach the under twenties at the Storm, but I ended up going into media anyway. I come off the bench this game. Thank Canberra. Canberra weren't going great, and they thought we'll get Finch off the bench. We'll give him the last 20, 50, 20 minutes because we'll give Smithy about a break. We'll be up by then. Well, anyway, the game turned on its head. The Raiders led the whole game. Raiders won, so they weren't going to take Smithy off. I go on for like a minute and a half. Right? I run on the field for one set, defend one set, the game's over. 
So I was like, eight tackles. I was on the field for. So we go out there. No, I'm obviously like, it's the end of my career. What am I doing? You know, I, you know, it's Craig's trying to help me out, give me a start. You know, like this, it was a real, real part of my career. I was struggling, you know, because I knew it was over. So I go out for a big drink that night and I come straight from the nightclub to recovery. And I'm in the jeans and going out, shit. We've got the, um, recovery session get get the ice bath so I just get the ice bath and I said I'm going to do the ice bath for as long as I play and I said, 90 seconds and I got out of the ice bath after 90 seconds and just walked straight back to the pub with all my jeans on they were soaking wet so yeah I was, it was, oh, God, let's talk it up the boys give the boys a laugh that next day but uh, yeah there'd be 90 second ice bath was, um, I was actually probably in there longer in the ice bath than I was in the field <laughs> Mate, obviously 2013, you know, you went over to England, you came back to Melbourne and, you know, this is where your career wraps up. Was there a moment in that season that you remember that you just thought, yeah, it's over? Oh, mate, I was after I got beat by the Wigan. I, I left at the end of 2010. I was still playing really good footy. I was 18th man in origin that year. Started the year, I was in real good form. I left, the, I left through salary cap. Perfect wall, I would have stayed another year or two. And then I would have gone longer in England because I, I was done. But people talk about with athletes, you should retire a year too early than a year too late. Well, I retired a year too late, but I'm glad I did because I knew I was done. You know, I, I don't sit there and go, oh, what if? I, went, I don't have that because I knew I was cactus. You know, like I said, after about four games, I was in survival mode for the rest of the season. It's like, the season finished and it was relief. It was like, thank God. I remember playing Manly once. We were at Brookfield, we were getting smashed. I'm good mates with Glenn Stewart. Gifty's calling the ball. They're up by 20. I look at Gifty and I just got just a sad day. And I'd made about 40 tackles. They just hammered me. I just had enough. And I looked at Gifty and I went, please, Gifty, you know, like, just let the ball go the other way. And Gifty <laughs> let the ball go. And he started laughing. I said, mate, I've had enough. I've tackled you 25 times, Gifty. Like, just use her up. There's five minutes to go. Just leave me. Like, he was Gifty one. We had a laugh after that. I was done, mate. And, and and if I hadn't come back, if I retired that year early, then I'd always thought, what if? I would have had, you know, but I don't need to because I answered that question. I knew I, knew I was done. You know? Mate, obviously, you've got one of the quickest lips, you know, the NRL's ever seen on field. Who are the guys that you had verbals with that really went head-to-head with you? Stick, Sticky was good as a coach because Sticky was ruthless, you know. You go straight for the jugular. I was a bit like that. Mate, I never – I had I had a – Go with Stick early in my career, like my third or fourth game. I come up against him. Obviously, took his position at Canberra, and we had a go. He, he come at me quite hard. I just replied, "I thought you retired when my old man sacked you." And Darren Breed actually laughed in the scrum, and I felt bad because his own teammate laughed. But he certainly got me back when he was coaching me. Mate, I can't really ever remember me and Wade. Wade Graham, uh, Wade, they give it to me when he first came in. He was at Penrith, and I get on great now with Wade. We talk about it at the front of a couple of weeks ago. He goes, "Remember that game was legend." I mean, he was just a competitive young bloke. You know, I never really went after blokes. It was more just banter, you know. Um, like with a lot of mates I played with in different teams, like there'll be someone like Mace. If I didn't like one of his teammates, I won't mention any names, but I had a problem with one of his teammates he played with, I'd go, yeah, you're right, Mace. So-and-so is a fuckwit. You're right. But, and like Mace would look like the bloke would turn around and look at Mace like, yeah, you're right, Mace. You're exactly right what you said about him. I'd say it at the scrum. And Mace would like look at me. <laughs> and you'd see the next play, the bloke would be going up like, no, no, it's like, what's going on? You know, like, very rarely, more was just laugh or I'd be bagging myself or, you know, taking the piss. There's never really big sledging matches because I knew so many blokes that it was more just a bit of banter out there, you know. Mate, uh, names don't have to be said, but, but is there, there one sledge that someone gave you at some point during your career that you just look back and go, fuck, that was a ripper? 
No, not really. There wasn't too many. Um, you know, one I was feeling, James McManus, the Knights winger. I don't know if you remember. Remember when the serial pest come on the field? I played Paramount. The serial pest, the brand invader come on. He jumped on footy footy. My mind. Anyway, I crash tackled him. Put him right under the ribs. And I got up and I knew, knew Bedsy and the boys. And I was going, Bedsy. Um, I was going, what do you mean? Be, that's going to be my only dominant tackle of the night. I was saying that about myself. I was going, Bedsy. And I knew Jared Mullen and the boys. Gids, Kurt Gids, Gids. That's the only tackle I'll be making all night. Like This is like two minutes into the game. Anyway, we've got beaten by the Knights and James McManus is in the press conference and he's used that. They go, what about this? Seriously, he goes, well, it was the only dominant tackle Brett Finch made all night. And they laughed. They thought it was a stage. I went in there and said, one, you're a winger. You should not say anything. And two, you're using my material against me. So I, I, went, into, I, went, to, I, seen it, I went to the media. I said, I want to clear this up. I'm really disappointed. <laughs> don't use my material and don't use it, especially if you're a winger. Like if, if you're Denny Bibbenaris or Kirk Gidley, I can wear it. But um, but that that come across good the boys when he's hand, and it, like if he didn't know it was come from me it was it was, it was a great sledge but I was pissed off because I bagged myself on the field and then he's used that and hammered me in the media mate your very last game in 2013 uh, Melbourne Storm defeat the Titans what are your memories from that game did you know that was going to be your last game of footy oh without oh yeah I did I, I um trained much that week we didn't have real contact I had an SC joint like we had sternum and your clavicle joint like in, in around sort of here uh, and, and I didn't know I, I popped it because we didn't know rule really of training during the like contact during the week I get into the warm up and it's a real bad pain to me we noodle up it didn't really work and after about a minute I knew I was in big trouble um, with my injury Dave Taylor I think one of the boys come to me and I couldn't tackle just my arm and I had to go off after about 10 minutes I walked off that field and I knew I was done went and had a hot shower went and got hot chocolate or a cup of tea or something and, and I was done because I knew Gaz Whitt was coming back the following week for the semis and then once you're there they're either going to keep winning or if they lose they're out you know so I, I, I knew uh, I was done and I was quite relieved yeah, part of me the, the relief was great you know not, not great but I, I knew it was over and I was quite sad and, and I struggled for a period because of that loss of footy but just the relief that it was done was, was um, certainly an overwhelming feeling Finchy, obviously throughout your career, you know, your playing career and post-career, you know, the media has come after you a number of times and unfairly on a number of occasions, obviously. What would you say to the next Brett Finch that comes through that, you know, for whatever reason, seems to have a bit of a target on his back? Oh, mate, it's hard to give any advice in terms of, because when you're young, like you get, it's like when you first come in, the old players go, it goes so quick, trust me. And you're sitting there going, I'm 20, it goes so quick, we've got 15 years ahead of me, I'm going to play forever. I thought I'd play forever, you know. I know you can't, but you thought you put, I'm now I'm nearly eight years retired, you know. I'm nearly 40 next year. It's crazy, you know. Like, but things like that, you can't be sort of told until you experience it yourself. In early days, I got real protective. And if you had a go at me or sleeps me or were negative in a comment, I'd take it, you know, I'd take it personal. Fans, you know, I'd take it personal. The media, you just bag, you know. You get part, you get older, you just take it with a grain of salt, you know. That was great being down at Melbourne. You didn't have to deal with a lot of that out of the spotlight, but you sort of learn to play the game with the media if you have to. The, the greatest thing I've, you know, Belliac once said about me, he goes, mate, you're like the Pied Piper. He goes, you're better than the Pied Piper. You don't even need a flute, you know? And, and I'm proud of myself because I, I was a great teammate, you know? I'll put myself in the grand final of being in the greatest teammates of all time, you know? I wasn't the best player. I made mistakes, but I know players enjoyed my company. And that's why I've got so many mates today and, you know, when you're retired a long time, it's great to be successful and you want to win. If you're a dickhead, I'll put up with you because I want to win because I need you. 
every time I'm not catching up with you for a beer. You know, you catch up with blokes who are good people. And you get to a point, it's not about what you did on the footy field, it's the type of bloke you are. And I know, I know I've made some errors in my life, and, but um, I like to think I'm a pretty good you know, dad and a pretty good husband and, and a pretty good mate. And, um, you know, I've got plenty of friends, you know, from footy and pretty take you out of it at the end. You know, if you still work hard and be a good person, whatever happens, happens. It's never going to change the opinion of people or the power of the pen. More so now because it's a 24-hour channel. Every journal in Australia has got their own show on Fox. Back then, we, we didn't have as much at the start of my career, but there's going to be that more so now, which is great for the exposure of the game, but there's going to be times you're going to be under the pump and they've, you know, they've got their job to do with that. So, Mate, tell me about the impact that Ellie's had on your life post-footy. It's just tremendous, mate. She came in at a time which, which is, I, was, I struggled a lot with post-footy. I was lost a lot of direction. Now, for people who've never done it, they can say how but all I'd ever done was football. I'd never worked. I'd never done anything besides what never wanted to do anything. And I've struggled to get my head around doing something for money. You know, having a job just because it's a financial benefit for you. I did things because I loved it. And I was lucky enough that it paid well enough to live. But I couldn't find any avenue in, in um, any to get any sense of achievement. I had no desire to do anything because I compared everything to footy. So for Ellie come along at that time, she moved up from Melbourne, away from her family, and she stuck by me through some tough times. Um, you know, I think I'm pretty tough, but what she's gone through been a lot tougher, you know, and a lot of the time she couldn't talk to him because she had no family up here, but then she couldn't really talk to her family because it was my personal. She felt that he couldn't talk to her family about my personal stuff. So she's been true. She's been a rock, you know, and I saw many speeches at the wedding. You know, I honestly don't know where I'd be without her. You know, as far as what worst that can happen to people, I could have happened to me in the last six years, you know. I may not be here if it wasn't for her. And from then, you know, we've had Mackenzie and, I said, my whole life, I'd, I'd always been a football player and, and that's what I wanted to do. So when that's done, and I've achieved all I've ever wanted to do. I'm sitting there going, hang on, I'm 33. I've got 70 years to live or 50 years to live. But I'd done what I wanted to do. What, what, what am I on this planet for? And then, you know, we gave, she gave birth to Mackenzie and it's like, that's why I'm here. You know, that's the reason I'm, you know, I'm here to be a father. You know, the love you have for any kids, but for her... With little girls, it's, it's amazing. It's too hard to describe. So, um, you know, without Ellie and sticking by me, I wouldn't have Mackenzie. Wouldn't have the, you know, the, the two girls in my life now. Or I've been surrounded by footy players and penises in the shower forever. Now I've got <laughs> girls. My life's controlled by women. My whole life was just sharing with 20 men twice a day. Just hanging out with blokes now. I've got two girls. They, they run my life. I'm not changing nappies. The missus has got me doing something else, but... I couldn't be happier. It's uh, blessed to have two beautiful girls in my life. Mate, it's fantastic to see you so happy. And I guess for me, you know, one as a footballer, two as a bloke, the fact that in your career, the Roosters and the Melbourne Storm chased after you to bring them there. They don't bring dickheads there. They don't bring shit footballers and they don't bring bad blokes there. I think it says a lot about you, mate. Yeah, thanks, mate. Like, like I said, in the end, I, you know, whether some people thought I was good or bad, that's up for their decision, but... I know one thing, I was, a, I was a good teammate and I got a lot of great mates out of it, still do, and um, I feel blessed blessed by that and I'm blessed by, you know, eight years retirement, I still get to do things like this to tell the stories. It's it's great because it, you know, it brings a smile to your face to remember those things, so I'm, I'm uh, really grateful for you having me on. Mate, I've heard Justin Harrow talk about how when he was at the Roosters squad that, you know, you'd treat Brad Fittler the same as you would treat 
you know, the kid on the bench in the third grade footy side. And I spoke to you before this, like I myself grew up in North Bondi for a couple of years. And I remember me and, you know, my little rat mates getting around Bondi, following you boys around. And there was, Right, you know, I, don't know if, I don't know if that was good role models to have before and around. Oh, but mate, there was a few guys that like you, like you even knew the name of, and you'd always say hello, and it was the same, you know, Brett Finch every time, and it just means the world to people. And what you what you've done in rugby league, and what you continue to do now, you're on YKTR. I absolutely loves that. You know, you get on there, you have a few beers, tell a few stories, couple of lies in there. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah, plenty of lies. Never let truth get away with the story, but Hoz. Hoss just lives around the corner from me and started. I just Hoss was young at the Roosters, and he was coming through in the squad at Parramatta. And he, I could just—he was like me. His, his dad was Mark Rowe, New Zealand international. He loved footy. Yeah, he, he knew the history of like the what's gone before you. And like I was old school, you don't speak unless you're spoken to. Yes, sir. No, no. You want to be a boy, you know. I was a tragic. Hoss was like that, so I could see myself in him. You know, obviously our careers went different ways, and I've seen him since when he was at Manly and whatnot. But I hadn't seen him for a few years. And he reached out to me, missus, on Instagram and said, hey, I heard he's to move down. What's Finch doing? So I got his number and give him a call. It was great to catch up. He said, do you want to come on the companion? Well, what the fuck's the companion? You know? <laughs> these blokes send me these questions. I thought, this is right down my alley. All this group of, group of degenerates, they call me. I said, this is me. I'm the biggest one out of all. And, um, you know, I thought about doing some podcasts of my own, but never really knew. I didn't understand social media. Didn't want to understand it. Didn't understand the platform, setting it all up. Do I want to do it? with Hoz a few times and then spoke to the boys about doing my own stuff uh, under, you know, using the, the YKTR sports platform and, um, you know, uh, hopefully we're going to get some out uh, around semi-final time. Freddie, a few of the boys, hopefully Fletch, Piggy, some of the, uh, even after the season from some of the guys like Trent Robinson and, and Cameron Smith. So a bit hard to get them while they're in the bubble, the boys. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's been a great opportunity, you know, with friendship with Hoz has opened the door there and, um, I'm in, in there with uh, Seggy and, and Isaac John and the Ice Project they've got there and, and all the, uh, the shows there. So uh, that's been an eye-opener to see, you know, your world, which you're probably right across the social media and all this thing. You know, I had no idea how a lot of it all works. So it's, uh, it's been fun. Mate, before I let you go, obviously, you know, you're on the companion a few weeks ago. You were also inside the Warriors camp with your good mate, Toddy Payton, and that all fucking blew up deluxe. What ended up happening there? I got thrown in under the bus. It's fucking, it just makes me quite angry. Toddy asked me to come up for the week, talk to the boys about stuff. I went up there, opened up about the issues, to talk to the boys how I missed being in the camp. I was quite serious all week. We played. I mean, week was done. I went home. The following week, they ring me and say, can you come up, come pick you up the Thursday? I said, mate, I can't come Thursday. I'm doing the companion podcast. They said, I said, well, I can make me way up Friday. They knew I was doing the podcast. I told them, because they said they're picking up Thursday. I said, I've got a podcast to do. I said, I can make me wait there Friday. And I was going to go back in for another week. They asked me to come back in for another week. I'd done one week. They've come out like I've, I was in the bubble and come out of the bubble. I, I went home. I'd done me week. What, my life supposed to stop to come and help me out? So I did as a favour. It, it, it pissed me off, really, because they knew I was doing the podcast. And then it turned around and said, oh, we're disappointed in his actions. He broke the bubble. He's a pot. They just knew I was doing it. You okay? Like... Um, which made me angry. And then it turned around how oh, he's had some issues post-career and it was good for him. You barks me to come up there doing your favour. What's my post-career issues got to do with anything? So yeah. I got thrown on the bus with all that. So um, the shit fight and they said, you want to come back? I said, no, well, what do you want me to isolate for two weeks at home just to go <laughs> in the bubble with you? Like, so I've got a life to live. I've got bills I've got to pay. I've got to go to work, you know? Like, so yeah, I was a bit disappointed how it, got, how it all came out and how I was thrown under the bus. But, Mate, 
I'll tell you right now, Warriors knew I was doing the podcast. Oh. And, then, and they said, we'll do the podcast and come up the next day. I said, fine. So, but anyway. Well, mate, if you've got to make a decision between giving inspirational talks to the Warriors or getting on the beers Thursday, Friday and telling absolute talking shit, you know which way to go. That's I, mean, I did enjoy my time there. I loved it because I loved that side and it, and it was great. So I was disappointed I couldn't stay there, but I was, you know, hell, it's like it was my fault. But I, but yeah, the, the companions had to be Thursday night. Me, Mrs. tries to organise things Thursday night now because she's, she's, she's <laughs> smart footy, kicked the corners. Very good. It's a red flag for us. Like, oh, we'll do this Thursday night. And so she plans like early in the week. She plans to see, what are you doing Thursday night? Get in before Hoz does. But, uh, now, I think I'll probably be back on the companion this week. I've had a couple of weeks off. <laughs> She'll be checking the live stream to make sure you're there sooner rather than later. Well, that's the thing. I said, I was still going. She has to get on there and go, it's finished half an hour ago. What are you doing? <laughs> I, was I was trying to sneak into the pub on the way in for a couple. I said, yeah, the footy's still going. Got dark because she's a Melbourne girl. She doesn't really watch it. But now she's too smart. She just jumps on the YKTR feed and <laughs> says, finished 30 minutes earlier. So, All right, you bastard. I'm just trying to sneak a couple of schooners in on my own. Mate, she's too good, too good. Mate, I really appreciate your time. I've taken up an absolute heap of it. Um, yeah, mate, really appreciate your time and can't wait to hear more of you. Hopefully, you know, you're dropping some podcasts with YKTR. Can't wait to hear more from you. Really looking forward to it, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. Thanks, brother. Thanks again for tuning in to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. That's the end of our Brett Finch interview. Part one, two, and three are available now. A champion bloke that I just loved having a yarn to. As I said at the start of the podcast, he's got his own podcast launching over the next few weeks under the YKTR Sports umbrella. I highly advise you get around that. Finchy Uncensored, I believe it's called. Type it up now. Subscribe to it. Strap yourself in. I think it's going to be an absolute cracking podcast one that i certainly can't wait for thanks for tuning in once again always appreciate your time remember to keep kicking the corners and as always play smart footy